What's up, gamers? <laughs> Welcome to Battle Mallet Podcast, episode 54. Uh, and now I tabbed off of the screen, so I forgot the title. <laughs> Nova Open 2023, Battles, Breakdowns, and Best Moments. Uh, for anyone that isn't familiar, the Battle Mallet Podcast is the journey of three to four busy gamers making their way to the Nova Open Convention, playing games that they love, and balancing life with those games my name is jared johnson and tonight i am joined by trace hyde <laughs> what's up and jason table new murray he's real he's really real you gotta pull back from your mic when you yell into it like that jason oh uh, sorry but he is he's a real boy uh yeah so we are back we are over a week out from uh traveling to nova um and so this is going to be our recap episode. Uh, it's going to be probably a little long and windy. So uh, strap in, buckle up, grab your popcorn, a little snacky snack and a drink, uh, and, and join us along for the ride. I think we're going to just kind of go day by day. Uh, so we'll start with Wednesday, and then you guys know how days and weeks go. So we'll just kind of progress through the rest of the convention. So wait, Thursday comes after Wednesday, right? Yes. In most cases, most cases. And if you're are. and if you're here just for the underworld's content, just skip to the end. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll put timestamps in the in the show notes. So if you want to jump to the Grand Clash recap, uh, you can do that. Which uh, happened on Sunday, right? That Sunday, was a Sunday. Correct. It was a Sunday. It Sunday, was a Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Yep. So anyway, um, yeah. So. Buttons. So, so you buttons sew on shirts. the buttons on shirts. So the buttons on shirts, but it's difficult to do when you're driving. So speaking of driving, on Wednesday, we made our way to Washington, D.C. And things went pretty well for a long time. For a time. On the trip. Yeah, Trace, uh, you uh, very considerately packed us some snackies. I did, yep. Some uh, buffalo wings, garlic parmesan popcorn and some yeah. checks mix and yeah make your mouth and... go pop pop that th- thanks to my wife for picking all that stuff up at sam's for us so that was a big shout out to her uh but i did pack everybody's individual bags this year to try and just make things a little easier yeah put on my dad hat for a minute no it was nice it was nice yeah, yeah. and then we got to dc well, no, there was the whole. There was oh, there was the thing before DC. The thing there in was an accident where the car was like straight up and down in in a tree through another tree. Yeah, that, that was, was like an hour lost. Pretty yeah. sure a policeman ran a dude off the road. Yeah, I'm but pretty sure we can neither confirm nor deny that. So no, we weren't pure there. pure speculation on yep. my part. Yep. Yep. Yeah, but, but then, the journey uh, was the journey was a little longer than we anticipated it would be. Yeah, but then we got into D.C. and then the roads went where roads went away. go. <laughs> the roads went away. And so, there was just cars everywhere. For anyone that hasn't driven in D.C. in rush hour, Whew. it's very exciting. I didn't drive, so I, I think Jason might have a heart attack if he tries to recount the experience. <laughs> um, but they just open both sides of the road to like one flow of traffic. Yeah, the biggest thing is, is it's not very well signed, right? Like, I think we've all been to cities where 
two-way traffic gets turned to one way and there's normally like lights and saying like go this way no not there it's just go yeah. it's just go there's- and my favorite part was trace like oh oh crap handling in the back because like, <gasps> i had to pee <laughs> oh, oh yeah it wasn't me pee. this time <laughs> well it just took me back to my new york days it's like i'm merging i'm merging now i don't care if you're my way i'm going i yeah. was just going it was the it was the sudden jolts back and forth and me going ooh ooh because i needed to pee <laughs> yeah yeah but you you navigated it really well he did um well. And, and Jason, the driving was great. Like, I think you channeled your inner bu- Buffaloan. Buff- what are you? Buffalonian. Buffalonian. Is that what is this? Sure. I don't know. I don't know. You should know. You're inner New Yorker. Just My Western aggressive driving. Um, but you got us there. We got there safely. Um, yeah, we got there. Yeah. We got there early. And I would say that, oh, well, well maybe not early. We arrived a little bit before five yeah which is like right on par with us um but what was a little weird was like setup was still happening yeah that's true yeah they were unloading pallets they were setting up tables the vendors were setting up their wares there was probably 50 percent of the vendor halls that weren't set up yet which was odd for us which is fine. Like, it's not a complaint. It was just odd because normally when yeah. we walk in, everything's set, ready to go. And this this time we got to kind of just see the layout. Um, the hotel key thing was a was an yeah. issue. Um, yes. It didn't yes. really bother us. But, you know, thank you to the, the Hilton staff for walking to my room about 500 times. Yeah. So. Yeah. So the, the hotel key issue is that the key machine did not work. So they were not able to produce the keys. So hotel staff had to take the master fobs and escort people to their rooms to let them in. Uh, and if you were like us and you were going to your room constantly because you forgot something or you needed to drop something off or whatever, uh, that meant that you had to get the hotel staff to walk you up to your room about 500 times. The, the number of sa- <clears throat> the number of folks from sales and marketing that we got to meet were yeah. excellent. Because that's yeah. where all those people came from. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, yeah, they, I mean, they handled it well. Called in, they did, you yeah, know, all hands on deck. Uh, and then uh, once we got registered and settled and and everything, um, we went and grabbed dinner at a basically like an English style pub. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that was pretty good. The solo show, the yeah. guy well, only <laughs> one one bartender against a bunch of folks who came in on a night that he probably was not anticipating um, trivia night. So he, we did fine. I mean, he got yeah, our he, food out pretty quick. Out. Yeah. No, he did great. And then. Well, we so like, I mean, just oh, to go, get, go. The, get, yeah. yeah, get the whole setting. Cause it is a new hotel, right? So yeah. this was the first time in DC proper. We passed the, Lincoln Memorial, Washington Memorial, got to see some cool stuff as we were actually driving in. Now we always see it, but like we were up close and personal. Uh, And then like for the hotel itself to go to get something to eat was there was a lot of options on that road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, previously there was always stuff you could walk to, but I mean, it was limited, right? Like three or four restaurants like this. You could have had whatever you wanted. Yeah, there um, were pizza places, Thai places, you know, there was a deli, 
There was the, the pub. Yeah. There was Mexican food. Yeah, lots of yeah. options, which was yeah. nice. And within walking distance and not as far of a walk as what we had to do previously to get to some of those things. Oh, um, yeah, not nearly as far. Yeah, so that was excellent. The yeah. location was the location was nice. It was a little, you know, getting in and out is a little conge more congested than we are used to. Um, but I really did like the location. The other um, thing, too, was access to the car. So, oh, yeah, parking was, was not as easy because it was not valet, right? So there's a, a sense of convenience where I just give you my keys and you deal with it. But it was also nice to know that I could go to the parking garage any time I wanted to to get the car, to get any, something out of the car. Um, it was stressful, though, and you guys were not part of this because you were holding down the stuff while I did this. Because, like, every parking spot was labeled, like, handicapped, compact car, valet. I'm like, where the heck do I? Finally, I found one, and it was a special space. So It was a special space. Right. It was a good one. You got a good parking spot. I did, especially with our friend. Yep. It was it was blessed by the horned rat. <laughs> yeah, it was. So, but yeah, like, uh, you know, in my opinion, it was a much better venue for that type of stuff. Yeah, agreed. And then, yeah. I mean, I, while we're on the venue, I mean, I think we should, we can probably just go ahead and talk about the venue now. Yeah. Um, so... The vendor hall at, at the old Nova was in the basement. And I say in the basement, it was on the bottom floor. It wasn't like in like some dank, weird basement. It was like a huge high ceilings kind of in that atrium area of the old, um, of the Regency at Crystal City. But it had these huge columns in the middle of it, you know, that were the elevator shaft or the escalators or whatever. And so it was always kind of cumbersome to navigate around. You never really quite knew where you were in relation to other shops, but this one was a true vendor hall. It was one, you know, wide hallway, uh, long hallway vendor set up on either side. So you could easily like walk through. Um, there was space for everybody. I never felt crowded in there. Um, and there were a ton of vendors too. And I think vendors that had not been there before. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of vendors that were new. Yeah. Like I don't think Baron of Dice has been there before. Baron of Dice was new. Artist Opus was new. Monument yeah. Hobbies was new. Yeah. And I think there was like a local, like a local to Washington, D.C. game store. There was, a, that had there was two more. There was Griffin Games and um, the board game room, board game. No. The boardroom? The, no. The boardroom was a was a board game shop that we passed on the trip. Oh, that's strip. right. Yep. Um, I forgot the name of this. There was another store, but they were yeah. running like demos and stuff downstairs. And then there were, there's like, they're more of a chain. There's multiples that are open in Virginia okay. of that particular one, but I forgot the name of it. Cool. There was a lot. They did, they did a nice thing about putting registration in kind of that vendor area. Right. So like if you came and you had to, you know, check in, you saw where all the vendors were. I thought that that yeah. was a nice touch to draw the traffic to the vendor hall. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was good. But yeah, there was a, I wouldn't say there was a ton of vendors, but there was a lot more than in years past. Right. Yeah. I think one is because the event's grown so much. And then the other is that the venue actually affords more space. So like there's probably more vendor slots now 
than there were previously. Yeah, probably. So then like, and then the actual gaming part of the convention was on three levels. So you were on the lobby, which was kind of, kind of hidden. They had the, the hobby Haven or the area where you could go repair your models and a bunch of other like seminars and like battle tech down the hall. Yeah. Yeah. The RPGs, like the Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder and stuff. All of those rooms were in there on the lobby level. Well, there was an, another one for RPGs too on the second level past the hall where age of Sigmar. So then you come down escalators, you come down the elevator and then you have the kind of the, it was the terrace terrace, which had an access to the outside. Um, and that's where the capital palette painting competition was. Yep. That's where the vendor hall was. That's where the AOS or fantasy style of games. So they also had star Wars and middle earth and all of those games in one large traditional convention hall. Yep. Um, and then down the back hallway there, there was even more RPG rooms. Mm-hmm. And um, even in the in the same room as where those games were going on, there was like side rooms. I don't know if you guys like stumbled into any of those or not, but I did by accident a couple of times. Um, and there was like RPG rooms in the AOS hall. And there was oh, painting cool. like... I don't know if you guys saw those or not, but there were yeah. there were several across the whole side of it, so there was a lot of stuff in there too. That's cool. And then you—that's where down. Underworlds was, and it yeah. was nice for Underworlds to be like in an actual like yeah gaming hall and not yeah. like in a seminar sized room. It was nice to be able to spread out and actually have some space to put your stuff and not feel yeah cramped and not sit on top of people. Um, and then you got to the concourse level. Yeah, which was all the way downstairs, which the ballroom was huge. And that's huge. where 40K was. That's where was all of massive. 40K was. That's where the preview was. So it was cool to have the preview be in the same room as the 40K hall. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and the GW store. So the GW store was actually in the same like ballroom as the 40K games were being played in the same ballroom that the preview was held. And then so that was that- cool. I think that worked out well, one, because it was a bigger space. And two, it felt like because it was such a bigger space, even when there was a line, it didn't feel crowded. There was two ways in and out of that store. It felt like it flowed to me a whole lot better. Yes. Yep. And then also on that, on the concourse level was the gaming lounge, which uh, if you listen to last year's episode, you know, we had some, um, feedback regarding the, the gaming lounge. Um, but I think, I think they nailed it this year. It was centrally located. You come off the elevators and to get anywhere else on the concourse floor, you had to kind of skirt the edge of the gaming lounge, um, which meant that it, it made it really easy to interact with the people that were there. It made it a really easy place to meet people um, to then go somewhere else or as we used it to just basically hang out at night after our events were done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then down the hall from that was uh, the Marvel crisis protocol room, the Malifo room. Um, and then infinity some of the demos. was down that way. Infinity yep. yeah. heresy, heresy events and, were that way. And these rooms were all, traditional style conference rooms that they open up the sliding doors and it's one big space. And then they just break the tables up. 
and like Jared was mentioning down this hall in the hall itself, um, in the hallway, I should say, not the hall in the hallway was a bunch of tables for demos, a lot of demos, a lot of like, it was, it was really, really cool. Spent a lot of time in that, yeah. hallway, which we'll get to. So, yeah, but so anyway, preview. So then we, we kind of learn the lay of the land. Yep. We get in our room and then we go to the preview. Um, you know, preview was exactly like always line up. Um, I think that would be my only critique is they didn't have any display on our badges this year so that we didn't know if we had a ticket or didn't have a ticket. Not that it mattered because that ballroom was like, could have held, I don't know, 10,000 people. Yeah. Easy. Like, so it was um, huge. Although I, I think that they were to see what the, the fireman says, but yeah. it's, it's but a lot. Th- so I think that they were trying to limit the number of people because it wasn't as cool as in 2018 when we all got a free sister battle under our chair, but we did all get a $10 off coupon mm-hmm. to the onsite GW store yeah. uh, as participants in the preview. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool. There was oh, 200 was nice tickets to it, right? So there was 200 of us that got that coupon, the coupon. Um, but anyway, everyone got in. Uh, even if you were on the wait list, you might have just got a coupon. And yep. um, the preview was a little bit different. So well, normally yeah. it is two GW employees standing in front of a room and they go through a PowerPoint presentation they show you the new stuff and then they talk a little bit about it. Um, and then at the end, you can ask questions. Uh, this time it was pre recorded. So it was a little bit quicker. Um, I do think that the photography and the artwork that we got to see was a little bit better because it was kind of pre recorded. No. Um, but then instead of doing a QA in a big setting, they kind of dispersed and then they made themselves available in the lounge, which was just outside. Right. Um, but before we get to any of that, what is your guys, what was your guys favorite thing in this preview trace? What was your, if you could pick one thing in the preview that you're like, Oh, I'm glad I was here tonight. What would that be? I really like that troll. You're a troll. The, the new troll character was pretty cool. Trug. The Trogoth King. The Trogoth King was really, really neat. With the waystone growing on his back. Yeah, he's big. He's real big. He's a big troll. He looks like a proper troll special character. Um, yeah. The, uh, I forgot what the name of the, the Dankhold Trogoth, I think is the name of Dankhold. it. Dankhold. The big one? The, the other big one? Dankhold. Dankhold, um, yes. There's... <laughs> <laughs> the, it sounded like you said Dankle. I was like, All right. you say, Jason. So, um, but those are the previous characters. Like they, there was one that was holding out the goblin to like smack him. Yeah, and then the other one is the actual non-character version. But this guy looks, he looks the part. Big old antler horns and his r- captured temple on the back. Yeah, really, really cool. Um, it's just nice to see Gloom Spike gets get a nice centerpiece model like that that's a little more up to date rather than just having a bunch of older Arachnorok spiders running around. So that's yeah. nice. 
he was he was one of my favorites but let somebody else go next yeah jared Jared yeah so yeah i think it, it was cool to be in the room for i mean we all knew it was coming um, because they did not win the campaign, and so the Tyranid got their new line previewed before um, before the Space Marines did. But it was cool to be in the room uh, when the new Space Marines were revealed, because it is such a popular faction, and like just the energy and the excitement. I mean, and so I mean, I mean, even for me, like some of them look really cool. Uh, I don't know if I was still playing it. But I, at one point, I had an almost, I had like a 60% scout army in Space Marines. Um, and to see like the new scouts in like the Primera scale and that level of detail, like mm-hmm. those, those look really cool. Um, but just all of the new Space Marines, I think it's just cool to see, you know, more units get that glow up to get that scale and to get that level of detail um, is pretty exciting. Which one yeah, is your favorite? The- yeah, I think the scouts definitely stole the show for me as far as the space marine portion of yeah. it. But I am, I for two real a number of reasons. The models look awesome; like they just scouts have always looked cool. I don't know what it is about, you know, kind of having fatigues underneath armor. Um, but like it also, there was a statement that said that scouts were getting kind of nixed. Right. Right. They were going to the um i forget what they call it but uh, legend legends yeah they're getting legend (laughs) but now they're gonna have an entry in the codex so guess my scouts i can still use them because they're on 32 so that's good yeah there you go um i'm also very curious to see the lore line that goes with scouts now we know previously scouts were you know the developing space marines but when they went to Primaris, they kind of jumped that, right? Like they were engineered and yep. made in vats, and they hadn't really gone through how the chapters were creating new space marines. Right. Like, so I'm very interested to see this scout um, lore integrated back into the original lore and that they're just Primarisized and they still go through the scout training and all that. Yeah. Like, do they become fully fledged space Marines and these are just like upscaled and then they have to cross the, the Rubicon Primaris or do they get like all of the new organs, like as part of that initial indoctrination, then they still have to go through the scout training, be part of the 10th company, all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. And I, I did also like- would like to know the answer to that. Yeah, that's a good question. I did like the uh, the company command squad too. I thought that. Yeah, was that's really cool. it's such a great callback. Yeah. Just so, a... what a, what about you, Jason? What was your favorite reveal? Um, I mean, obviously, Underworlds was my favorite reveal, right? Which right. I think we'll get to in a second because we can't be an Underworlds podcast without talking about that preview, right? But Fulgrim was. Oh my gosh amazing and then my then it was a little bit crushed but it's still amazing right so so we had this debate driving up that what's the next step for like what's the biggest thing and trace always would say angron 
or it was, something. It was, no, silly. it was forever Angron. It was always Angron. Yeah, it was always uh, forever. Angron. Forever. And we all had our things that we said or would say. And Fulgrim was brought up. And I was like, no, it can't be Fulgrim because we just got the new box. We just, we're going to get Terminators. We're going to get this. We're going to get that. Why would they elevate their marketing campaign? They just don't need that spark right, right. now. And I thought my, well, yeah. And I thought my logic was sound. And then we get to like, they teased it before the video saying there's something real special at the end. And then Fulgrim pops up and everything that I thought Fulgrim should be, this model is. So I'm sitting there going, holy cow, I am completely wrong. And holy cow, they crushed it. Oh my gosh. And then the heresy emblem flashed up and I was like, wait a minute. Now I'm lost a little bit. Um, so yeah, it's a heresy model and it is a little disappointing that it's a resin model, but I think the most disappointing thing for me is, is this is what I wanted for Fulgrim. So what are they going to do when they bring it out into 40 K? Yeah. Like how do you push it from here? And I trust them. I totally trust them. But this model, like the snake body, the multiple arms, the wings, like his face that looks like perfection, like he, it's yeah, he's so beautiful. Good. He is pretty, pretty gorgeous. But like terrible at the same time. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll be curious to see kind of how that works itself out if and when they finally reveal him as a 40 K model, but they were very clear. Like the article itself is very clear. No, this model won't be getting rules for Warhammer 40 K. So, I mean that, you know, that's not going to stop somebody from homebrewing some rules and putting them down on the table, but we still don't have an emperor's children book. So I'm sure, you know, he's the, the last of the, he's the last of the marked, the marked demon primarchs. Yeah. Yeah. We've got Nurgles. We've got Corns. It was amazing. Yeah, a little Magnus. disappointing, but yeah, an amazing model. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so good. So then then we get to Underworlds in Death Gorge. Death Gorge. Um Yeah, so thoughts it was, on It was not um, Ice Hole. It was not Cold Stone. <laughs> Oh, Goldstone would have been amazing. <laughs> I think they would have gotten in trouble for that. Come one. fold your ice cream. Yeah. So there, there had been whispers, you know, amongst the internets, among, amongst the the underworlds community, that you know, because AOS and Warcry seem to be moving into like the frozen wastelands of Gur, that Warhammer Underworlds would be following suit. So there was a, a large assumption that that it would be kind of ice based, ice themed, frozen themed, and I mean, the the board bears itself out in that way, but these uh, these warbands are anything but cold. No, I will say that. They are not cold. They are on fire. So, Jason, you want to talk about the uh, Thricefold Discord? Yeah, so just to do a quick preview, because we'll get into in-depth when these finally release and get into all their their cards and their tricks and stuff. So, But just to go over the models... You know, this is a three-fighter warband. Um, the big guy is 
is kind of scary looking. I mean, yeah, his they're all so scary. he's he's got a claw. It's like a, it's like a bloated a, demonette. Yeah, That's he, exactly he, what he looks like. He has a claw like the the cow, right? So yeah, like Slake Slash, yes. Slake Slash from but the other Slash Man. But yeah, it has a tongue. It has a tentacle. Now um, that's a tongue, sir. Okay. Anyway. Um, but he is bloated. He has a tail. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of like a big old spear. Yeah, big spear, but I don't remember seeing his card. So... I thought I mean, we had seen it. I think they showed it in the video. In the video. Why don't you... I'm going to watch this video real quick. I'll... Oh, there's Sirenis. <laughs> there's another yep. one. Yep. There, yeah, there it is. Vexmore. Five wounds. Nice. Range two, two smash, three damage. <laughs> range, he's got, two, range two, though, right? Range two, two smash, three damage. And then he's got... Uh, Locus of Indolence. Oh, he's a level one wizard, too. Two shields. Ooh. Oh, that's inspired. That's his inspired side. Okay. Ooh. All right. Locus of Indolence. Minus one damage to a minimum of one to attack actions that target this fighter if there are no successes in this fighter's defense roll. Ah. That's, pretty, that's pretty spicy. So if you manage not to roll any shields or crits, here, have a minus one damage. It's like a reverse worm spat. No. I like that's that though. Cool. I like that, that a lot cool. actually. Yeah. That's cool. <clears throat> Vexmore. It'll make it him a lot more like resilient than you think. It definitely looks like he should be five wounds though from the model. So Yeah, he's got a lot of meat on his bones. One dubby dubby. Two dubby. <laughs> yes. And then from there there's a sorceress. Sorcerer. I don't really yep. can't tell gender so yeah a sorcerer them a sorcerer them um it's slanesh yeah she looks female but yeah um once again with a little claw a lot of uh tendrils tentacles tentacles for legs yeah that's nice good stuff and then an assassin that has like all the blades and oh, yeah this is one of those models that I don't know if the picture is going to do it justice. Like, no, not right. Because now. this picture makes it look very flat. And I just yeah. know when you're no. holding this model, yeah. it's going to be freaking sick. Like, with yeah. swords and daggers and claws and just coming at you. Yeah. No, it's like a, like a super demonette. Yeah, but this the whole style of this Warband is demonette styles, which I thought yeah. was cool because we haven't seen a ton of demon-esque uh, models in Underworlds. Like we have the Gore Chosen and we have the Nurgle, which have demon style, but they this is yeah. kind of like the next and level. They're yeah, more corrupted humans than they are actual demons. The first one we actually saw with some real demon leaning into it was Zinch, the new Zinch. Yeah, that's true, with Ephilim. And then this is definitely a trio of soul-seeking demons. So the the lore behind them is that uh, they, are, they are constantly feuding, um, but that is a source of irritation to the Hedonites and... Uh, quote, they've been punished for their endless squabbling by Celesque, the vengeful allegiance, and must work together to recover 666 souls from the frozen depths of Death Gorge as penance. 
That was all in the so, video. I don't remember. That. Well, this is uh, this is in the article. That's in the article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if nothing else, like if if folks don't buy it for the game, if you play Hedon Knights of Slanesh, you're you have three awesome heralds now. Yeah. Well, and if if history serves, typically the Warhammer Underworlds warbands get some pretty spicy rules in Age of Sigmar too. They do, but if you don't want to use them that way, it's kind of what yeah. I'm here's three like heralds. You got, got three heralds yeah. that are just full of character. Awesome, yeah. just awesome. They're so good. Yep. And speaking of the souls that they want to, speaking of the souls they want to take back with them to Celeste. I know some somebody else wants some souls. Sirenes razors. I mean, the only uh, thing you really need to know about this warband is it has like a squid. So it's got a squid, and he's actually Seth. pretty big. Like if you look in the picture up there, he's just as big as what's his face or what's yes. the big bloated dude. He's a Sephanir. big boy. Sephanir is the name of that squid. Yeah, <laughs> he he is a big boy. Um. Yep, but Sirene. Uh, let's see. I got her card pulled up. So inspired, she's a level two caster. Five move, one block, four wounds. She only has one attack, which is a range two uh, cast on channels um, for two damage. Mm. <coughs> so two dice for channels and crits. That's not bad, but she has the hammer tide action. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to get all of the text for this. I'll be able to get close, though. It is an action. Place the scatter token in this fighter's hex. Draw a straight line from the center of the token in the direction indicated by the hammer symbol. Mm. So you don't roll. You just place the scatter hex. That's nice. The first time this symbol, this line enters a hex occupied by an enemy fighter. uh, Deal damage. I'm going to assume one to that enemy fighter and stagger that fighter is what it looks like it says. I cannot imagine that you get to do like more than one damage for free, right? With no roll involved at all, but just an on card action to plank for one. It's pretty good. And stagger. Seems pretty tight. It's pretty good. Also, she's a four wound elf. So staying in change. So, well, so staying in line with uh, with the other um, Idenath yeah. Warband, right? Whose it's name? Not like, it's not like that that it's not, Wood Elf one that has a three wound leader, right? Yep. Or the Lumineth one that has a three wound leader. Mm-hmm. Yep. But they have a band hammer. So. They do have a band hammer. Yep. Are those jellyfish or other squids on? Those are jellyfishes. That's so cool. Or they're little like. I don't know uh, what they're like. Squid, squiddy jellies. I don't know what they are. They're cool looking though. They are cool looking. It like like, has a lot of motion to her base, which is cool. I like the uh, alternate um, blades on the um, the other two additional thralls that are with her. Oh to, yeah, the the Namardis. Yeah, the those Namartis. are like true. Those are true Namardi thralls. Those. Oh yeah, so one's got like a glaive and a lantern. That's cool. 
Oh, they both have glaives. They both have glaives. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. There's potential for lots of range two fighters there. Yeah. Except for the squid. The squid's probably not going to be range two. That's cool. It would be cool if you reduced movement by one, if you were close to him. That'd be spicy. It would be cool. It does have all them tentacles. And then we're going to get two new Rivals decks. So Breakneck Slaughter, which has got like a Skull Comet for the symbol. And Force of Frost, which I'm pretty sure is like, I don't know, something is breathing ice. Looks like a stylized ice bear blowing frost on you. Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited for them, though, whatever they are. And then if you look in the artwork in the article, too, like the frozen giant in there. Is oh, cool. yeah. Yeah. And there's a very, very clearly like a destruction mm-hmm. icon that's frozen. Oh, I found one of the bridge. souls that the Discord are looking for. It's in the bottom right hand corner. So they yeah, just got to dig it out. Nice. Dig it out. Or the, or the, um, I don't know. Got to dig it out. They both want souls. I do, it's a good yeah. pairing. It I like it. Pairing. I like it. It it fits with the very cold theme of the board too. Like both of those warbands have a lot of blues and purples and stuff in them, so that's cool. Yeah, they fit. I like it. I like it. Any other closing remarks, Jason? Before we move on. No, I just I'm very excited. Like I like the like what you guys said the the board the color. I'm always interested to see the color change from season to season. Um, you know, having the blue back is great. Um, you know, on the board itself, we can see, you know, the new objectives. It looks like they're still lethal and cover hexes and block hexes. Um, so yeah, I'm just excited to, to get it as always the war bands will always be. And I was looking up, yeah, it does the, if you still it and zoom in, it does appear that that hammer tide is uh, it says uh, hammer symbol. The first time this line enters a hex occupied by N, and then you can't read it, enemy fighter deal, which is bolded, and then you can't read it, damage to the blank fighter. So I think it yeah. is just one. Yeah, I yeah. Which is I'm, still I'm, cool. Free, I, would, I would be sending a very quick email to... WH Underworlds at GWPLC.com uh, if that's too damaged because that feels <laughs> real strong. Um, not a gym. Gym Underworlds. Uh, anyway, so that was the preview. Uh, it closed out. So they closed out the preview with, uh, with Mr. Fulgrim. Um, and then there was a crazy long line at the GW store because everybody was trying to spend their $10 gift certificate Burning a hole. Or, or, or whatever. Um, and then there were a bunch of people that hung out with the GW Nova staff in the lounge and chatted them up. Um, one thing that we didn't mention uh, is that we met Brian and Skyler from what the hex cast. We did. And they sat with us during the preview. Wednesday. They did. They did. We, that will be a recurring theme throughout the, podcast is hanging out with brian and skyler yeah so, yeah you know, yeah and that's i mean yeah that's why we know yeah yeah that's why we go to nova so it was great to meet them and a few others like we got to see 
see people that night from years past. Um, but Skylar and Brian, between recording the episode, playing with them online, um, and just talking to them over the years, it was finally great to finally meet them. Um, yeah, so we got to sit through the preview, and then we hung out with them, you know, kind of the rest of the night. But I don't even remember what we did night one. We played 40K. Oh, we did play Warhammer 40K. Yep. It was quite terrible. You you sat there and read your rule book. And then when they came back from their dinner with some folks, uh, you played uh, card games with them. Yeah. 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 So night one done. Night one done at 2.30 in the morning for me. For you. So I walked away. Yeah, right. As you just left us. But um, to go into some games played, so we've often done this is when we showed up and we knew that they were going to do it again is after the preview, we found a little corner of the hall, the main 40K hall, and got some models on the table, at least you two did. And, you know, I do want to give a shout out to Trace. He had this whole narrative story planned out he like typed up this wonderful prologue he had missions tied into this uh wonderful campaign that we were gonna run um so the setting was there and then yep. it was eldar against some demons and that went well right for the demon went, went well for the demons yep i mean we don't need to belabor this point i think that we all want to like 40k um, I made this analogy. I, I don't know if I came up with it or if somebody else did, but 40 K, I think at the large scale for me, it's going to be like that ex partner that I have really fond memories of. I have no ill will towards, but we've just grown apart. Like it, the, the time is not for us to be together anymore. And that's not to say that we won't come back together. Uh, You know, we don't need to dig down into this analogy too far, but um, like, I don't begrudge anyone for enjoying 40 K. There's a lot to enjoy there. Um, The lore I think will always capture me. The aesthetic will always capture me. I'm going to finish painting up the Eldari combat patrol. Uh, I have a ton of gray knights that I'm not going to get rid of. So, you know, I can pick it up and set it on the table and play a game with it, but I don't know for the short term, if it will be my first choice of game going yeah. forward. Fair. And then just to give more context to this. So that night wrapped up, um, did get a game of Loracana in with Brian and Skylar, which was great. Um, then we kind of headed to bed. We got up at a normal time the next day uh, and headed back down to the hall where there was games going on. And we got in another game, and I got um, a thousand points of Necrons on, and this is where the narrative really, really kicked in. Um, so, you know, Trace had modified the the um, Crusade missions to kind of fit our campaign. Um, I was looking forward to it. I had a list that really revolved around. I was called the Resurrector, so obviously my list uh, resed a lot of units. Um, turn one went like this for me. I did nothing. Uh, turn one for Jared went like this. He did something, but did nothing. And it felt pretty good actually. Like, like it was like, Oh, like we're 
kind of trading blows and not getting anything done. Um, and then my res orbs just kicked in and next thing you know, my 20 man block of Necron warriors, which I misplayed. Have you like, I was like in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to veil over here to this corner of the table, get my secondary objective, <coughs> kill Jared's unit, and then just kind of come back and do all this. But I forgot to do that. So they were sitting mid table, which in hindsight worked out for me. Like I just it sat did. there and you try to kill me and I didn't die. And then I won. Yep. It's <laughs> about how that went. The game was back and forth until I made the mistake of getting stuck into that unit. Yeah. Um, so I, I would have thought that a Wraith Lord and a Yinkarn would have been able to take down 20 Necron warriors, but it turns out that that was not the case. Well, you just needed to so, take out my my healing bot, which allowed me to trigger my reanimation protocols every single time, twice that they right. went off. So, yep, um, yeah. So in that that game, at the end of the game, I had fun, but there was a point in the in the game where I knew my opponent wasn't having fun, and that was that was my biggest problem with 40k when I was really really into it is there just was a lot of those moments. So I think to echo what you're saying, Jared, is I understand the appeal of 40K. I'm not going to talk ill of 40K. But the current things that I'm looking for when I sit down at a gaming table do not align to what 40K is. But it still is a fun... I mean, there was 350 people there playing 40K in the, the GT. Like, obviously... There's a lot of people that like that game. So that's yeah. okay. Yeah. So we did that and that, that ate up most of the morning, right? So yeah. we so so then it was lunchtime. And we went oh yeah. So that morning we discovered the deli. Yeah, Grandma and grandpa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dishing out seven dollar breakfast sandwiches. They were not prepared. <laughs> 10 minutes at a time. Um, and then we went back there for lunch because they had lunch sandwiches. Best, best deal on the block. Oh, for sure. Best deal on the block. Sandwiches were great. Breakfast sandwiches were great. Lunch sandwiches were great. Uh, Skylar and Brian met, you know, went with us for lunch that, that day, which was nice. Um, but yeah, it was just a little mom and pop shop, just a little sandwich shop with some donuts and some beverages. They probably get 10 people on the day on a normal day, I would imagine. And here it is, a 3,500 person convention across the street. Yeah. And they had and to make an emergency are... order for to their <laughs> baker for some croissants and bagels. All I remember is Brian going to the guy. He's like, it's going to be busy for the next four days. And the, the gentleman was like, four days? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His jaw dropped. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really funny. They were cute, yeah. though. It was fun to watch them interact with each other when they were working because you could just tell that they're just in their own little pace and they just yep. do the best they can. But it was good food. It was yeah, good food. It was good. And then we came back and so started the gaming hall, right? 
this is yep. the day it all started. Yep. Rim Racers was the next thing. Yeah, was so Rim Racers that day? No, it yeah. was the next day. Was it? Yeah, Rim Ra- I thought Rim Racers was on Friday. Friday, yeah. I think we. this is Dune, Dune Imperium. This is Dune Imperium. So. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah. We did play so Dune we came back to the, to the hall. We went to the board game lounge. Um, and I don't remember. I walked away. Like, I was doing something else. Don't know what. Yeah, you I know. had walked away, too. I don't remember. I think maybe you and I had, like, gone to take our stuff back up or something. I don't remember. Anyway. But we we'll came back, back down back. to the board game lounge, and Skylar is setting up Dune Imperium and is walking people through, and you and I sit back down at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and we played through that game. It was a ton of fun, that and it felt very Dune-y. Like, it, yeah, it definitely had a lot of the theme that you would expect from a dune game yeah i was i was uh, impressed with that one yeah so anybody that isn't familiar with it i would call it a combination of dominion deck building where you're building your your game engine by purchasing cards to go into your deck that you then play um and then a a meeple placement game like agricola so you have to gather resources you have to place your meeples in the right places to gather those resources and then the cards interact with the meeple placement and all that stuff um, but ultimately, like the goal is to become the most powerful house, you know, on Arrakis. Um, and so even if you don't know Dune, I think it still plays fine. I think yeah. it feels a lot better if you know who like the characters are on Dune. Like Jason and Amon were a, a two-headed ogre playing <laughs> House Atreides uh, with Paul at the lead. And uh, they were very excited to get Duncan Idaho. That's right. Um, we might have might have over leveraged our hand to buy that card, but you may we have, got it. But, we got but it. But it was worth it. it and was it was very it. satisfying to steal Gurney from them. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. That's okay because I got the Quizat Satirac. You sure did. That did. That that did some work for you. It did. Not enough though. Not enough because at the end of the game, I could have been a good friend and a nice ally. And, and just not friend win and just not got into the mix, but that is not Dune. It is not Dune. I think so. what I liked about that game was that I don't feel like any of us ever felt out of it. Like any one of those turns, if they had gone a different way, could have been Jason winning or me winning or yeah. Ryan win, or, you know, or Jared winning. Yeah. Which was fun. Like having it that close and coming down to the last couple turns was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a good time. Thank you, Skylar, for showing us the ropes. Yeah. So this makes loss number three for Jared on the week. <laughs> you are not defined by your losses. I know that, but wins. but it but this comes up later. So this comes up later. It's that's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it comes in. It comes into play later. And then, uh, what did we get into Thursday night? We played Dune Imperium. Was that tie dinner night? Uh, yes, that was tie dinner because we finished yeah. up kind of late with Dune Imperium. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was kind of late. And then we got into the tie place and got ordered right before they closed, but we mm-hmm. weren't the last ones there. So I and didn't feel bad. Jason stayed there. I'm not sure what Jason got into because he didn't come join us for tie. We came back. We did come back, but I don't remember. Yeah. You did something. That's a blur. We were out late again that night. 
we were i mean yeah that was a three o'clock night playing playing down there but i don't remember what else we got into because it was the the next night was liar's dice so friday night was liar's dice yeah um i really don't recall i don't remember gosh i don't remember what we did thursday night it was so much fun we don't remember well i know (laughs) jason trace is over here going mentat on us trying to scan his memory banks that's not coming up man uh what did we do we were up late that night i don't remember man that's funny that's weird makes for good media right now excellent excellent radio that's for sure all right sweet so day three friday I can't sleep, so, you know, I'm still up early. So (laughs) this is now two nights in a row where I've gotten five or less hours of sleep. And uh, we get a message from Danny earliest in the morning that he is on his way. Yeah, I mean, this the, the whole plan for Friday was just to play as many demos as possible. Yeah. So this was like, you know, we went to the hall. Uh, yep. the, the vendor hall to like to look at stuff. Um, I got to try in country. So play yep. a, a demo of that, which is a realistic shooter style uh, miniature yeah, it's game. A, it's modern, modern, like real modern quick, setting. Yeah. Real quick games. Very lethal. Um, a lot of cool rules in it. Uh, my biggest, the, the reason I didn't buy in is I don't, I'm not sold on building a modern table. So like that's a whole new train set. A whole new yeah. way of that, but the game itself was actually fun. The way that ranges work and the way that um, hit the roll to hit, um, cover, and all that wonderful um, game mechanics was very, very fun. Yeah. Um, and then we went down and played a demo of Conquest and spent a lot of time there. So, a lot of cool games, or a lot of cool mechanics in that game. It's a rank and blank, yeah. large battle um, conquest game. Uh, which has a cool, my two, the two things that I took away from the mechanics of that game were the orders. So you have a card pool where you draw the cards and that kind of shows you what you activate on the board, uh, yep. which is all, you, pre- you set that order. It's yeah, not random, all predetermined. Uh, and then the fact that your units walk on. So not, not everything is deployed on the battlefield to start the game. Yep. Like your Vanguard units arrive, then your heavier, heavier units arrive turns after that. And it's a, a fluid, active kind of battlefield as your units arrive onto, um, yep. onto the the pitch. So, yep. And it's, um, I think that he said like nine or ten turns. It's ten turns. Ten turns. Yeah. So it's not a short. It's not a short number of turns, but it's alternating activation. So, like you're very active in every turn. Um, I mean, Trace just today sent like a 2000 point list and it's not that many units. So it's not like, you know, you're going to have a ton of activations. Um, You got to imagine that some of your Vanguard units are going to have been wiped out by the time your heaviest units get onto the table. So I can imagine the game playing fairly quickly. It from, from what I've seen, it plays a lot quicker than you think. Um, Most games are probably done in around 90 minutes. Okay. I guess. Yeah. Um, 
and there's some there's some things that I learned about this too, Jason, that you'll be interested to know that are tied to the card mechanic. So when you reveal a card, there are certain abilities that can proc off of that reveal. So like you get you'll get like on on activation abilities that you can do, which I thought would be interesting to you because you I know you like that like reveal step stuff. Um where like a good example would be you get to make an additional move action or shoot action or you get shields or whatever. Like when you do your flip over, when you do your reveal, like your defense goes up. Um, stuff like that. So there's a lot of really cool um, really cool abilities and things in the game. I am intrigued heavily by that game. Yeah, well, I'm intrigued because there are orcs riding dinos. And, I mean, who doesn't want to put a Brachiosaurus and a T-Rex on the table alongside some Triceratops riding orcs and raptor riding orcs and just raptors? It it looks like uh, one of those Triceratops riding orcs actually has a cowboy hat on, which uh, what I, I found amazing. <laughs> he will be named Muldoon. Of course, yes. Muldoon the Wardroon. <laughs> And Jason, you um I think you enjoyed the demo when you when you played. Well he I'm got to use mistaken. Minotaurs, so Yeah, you got to like smash some dudes with Minotaurs. Yeah, I mean to say that enjoy the demo, yes, but it was more just talking about game mechanics and looking at models. The demo was not I mean the yeah, demo it was, was not a full full basic. scope yet. Very it's basic. Very, yeah. very basic. Yeah. Um yeah, I um I wouldn't say that on all the demos that I played this weekend that that was my most favorite only because the way that the demo was set up, it was like, here's like you move, you charge, there's magic. Like this is, we're just showing you the basics. So Yeah. Um, as a, one, as opposed, go ahead. One other thing that, I, that we did discover was that is really neat about that game is that you only unlock certain units, but based on what, characters you bring for each warband that you add to your army so it's not like you can't just spam certain units unless they are part of your mainstay units um so if you have you have it, it 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 requires you to bring some level of like core troop or things that are aligned with whatever character you're bringing so i thought that that was interesting too yep so then after that, we played, I think, what was our favorite demo. Um, yeah. I think all of us were ready to pull our wallets out and give Warsenal money, like, immediately. And that is REM Racers. So R-E-M Racers. It is created by Corvus Belly, the creators of Infinity. And, and it is Mario Kart, the board game. And it plays exactly like you would expect. You can knock into other vehicles. You can shoot other vehicles. You can lay down oil slicks. There's flamethrowers. There's mines. And it is sheer just, chaos. Yeah, it's pure chaos. And the when, when I bumped into Jason and knocked <laughs> him back into his oil slick, and then he slid into the mine. Mm-hmm. That I placed in front I, of him. 
And then I don't know what I blew up. I don't know. It was amazing. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, so, you know, just for our listeners, like you could have up to five carts on the car, on the, the board in this version of the game. Um, the table is, is kind of like tile based, but it, not mm-hmm. like hexes, but like tile pieces. Yeah. Um, the, so the board game can be laid out in multiple different configurations. Uh, and the big, like a train set. Yeah. Kind of like a train set. Exactly. Um, the big mechanic here though, is you have a controller, like a video game controller looking dashboard and you have speed on the one side and that speed, which, you know, could be one, two, three, four determines what movement templates you have access to. And once you touch a movement template, you have to use it. So, and you just, if, for anyone that's ever played X-Wing, like, you know how this can get tricky. Like, can I make this pass? Can I get around this corner without running into the side of the board? Uh, whatever it may be. And that's really the, where the fun of the game is, is you pick these templates and you have to move the whole template. And if you bash into anything, stuff happens. Um, as you move around the board, you're going to draw cards and those cards give you access to weapons or oil sticks or mines, all these things we're talking about. And then there is a small dice mechanic to kind of hit and dodge and all of that, all of the basic wargaming mechanics. But this truly is a board game and it truly just plays like Mario Kart. Um, we laughed. I'm oh my so, gosh. so thankful that um, the the lady from Arsenal allowed us to play a whole game because it did like it was probably an hour and a half that we were down there just playing and having a good old time. Um, it was fantastic. So that will be a definite pur- purchase when it comes out. Now, for most of us, it's not it's not your traditional tabletop game. It's not like you're going to buy this and buy a bunch of other stuff. But for us, for, a you know, a quick meetup and play or for our families, like this is going to fit yes. the niche perfectly. Yep. And we'll link to it. It'll. I think the pre-order is going to go up in October. Yeah, they were telling us with a, a ship date of November or December, just depending on fulfillment and procurement and all of those things. Um, but it is it is a hundred percent on the buy list. Uh, I think for all three of us. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was prepared. I was ready. I was. I was like, can I take this copy home with me today? Um, unfortunately, I think if we had been able to walk away with that, we would have played it three or four more times over the weekend. Yeah, we definitely would have busted it out in the board game lounge. Yeah. Um, yep. So then Danny shows up. We get yep. dinner oh or whatever it is. And um, this is the night where you, I, this is the night you guys all go. You're like, we're just going to go. And I'm like, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving the board game room. This is where yep. I'm going to be. This is where I live. <laughs> um. Anyway, so Liar's Dice. So it's been advertised, you know, it's Liar's Dice for charity. Like they've been talking about it the whole convention. And um, and I am convinced that I'm going to be horrible at this game. So I don't even like pretend like I'm going to sit down at a table. Uh, but Jason, I think at this point you were already at a table. Yeah, so Brian paid for everybody to get in the first time. And then that's where, yep. so like Danny and I came walking out of, we were over, in the 40 K hall, we came walking out and Brian was like, are you going to play? I was like, sure. I don't even know what it is. So I sat down, you guys came back next thing you know, everyone's at a table playing 
liar's dice of some kind. I'm failing miserably, so yeah. I'm out. Yeah. So for anyone that isn't familiar, liar's dice is a game. If you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, you have seen liar's dice played. It's the game with the cups and the dice, and you say how many dice of a certain value are on the whole table and somebody can either uh, agree with you and then they have to kind of up the ante after you or they can call you and if they call you and they're wrong then they lose one of their dice Uh, when you run out of dice you're off the table if they call you and you were right then you lose one of yours vice versa anyway but keep your soul yeah barbosa keeps your soul um and so it's the game that bill turner was using to protect will turner from playing and so in my mind having not ever played it i'm assuming that this is now like a lying bidding style game which is not for me so anybody that has listened to the episode where we've talked about the real estate game which is a bidding game it is not for me i do not do well it i no there's no way so i'm like no i'm not gonna play liar's dice this is not gonna be fun it's not gonna be fun for me and it's not gonna be fun for the people that are playing at the table like i'm just gonna give somebody a win here, right? Because that's what happens when I play poker. If I play poker and I put money in, I am just giving my money away. I'm just paying money to play this game for the shortest amount of time and as anyone else at the table. It turns out that Liar's Dice is a math game. <laughs> and I can't turn that part of my brain off. Drunk, not drunk. Tired, not tired. My brain is just running probabilities. And do you know who the worst person to sit next to in a game of Liar's Dice is? Somebody that is always telling the truth as far as they understand it. So the, like whoever was sitting to the left of me in every game that I played was like, you're, I hate you. And I'm like, I'm just playing the game. There are nine twos. And there's like, there's no way there's nine twos. And I'm, I'm like, there's 54 dice on the table. I know how many twos I have. I know that three other people before me have said that they have had twos. I'm telling you, there's nine twos. And then they're like, there's no way. And then there's like 10 twos. And I'm like, I told you. I told you. <laughs> I'm just telling the truth. But but the struggle comes if as the numbers get higher, you have to like outbid either the number of dice or the value of the dice. And so it just gets tough if you get like further in on the table. But it turns out that I was actually pretty good at the game. And then Jason, you got booted off your table originally but then you came back oh no no, that was another no, no, no. so yes yeah so so you're in the tournament or the charity tournament i get yeah. off the table i go yeah. over danny is not playing because although we say it's a charity tournament it was like buy dice tournament at one point. it was a buy dice tournament so. and i totally abused that a couple <laughs> times but anyway so we'll danny, get into that in a second yeah, danny and i go to the other table and i've always wanted to try terraforming mars so next thing you know trace is out you, Skylar, and Brian are still playing Liar's Dice till forever, right? So forever. You're just going and going. We start to play Terraforming Mars. You get to setting up a whole other two people thinking that you guys yes. might join us at yes. some point. That no. never yeah, happens. Yeah. Never happened. So I make it to the to the championship <laughs> table. And I think that there are nine of us at this table when we sit down. So Um, so I'm just going and I'm just playing the game as it's played. And then, uh, Todd, who runs the table war charities, who like, uh, all of the charity money, like the buy-in for the liar's dice was going to, was giving out the prizes. Like there were table war gift certificates and Nova swag and all this stuff. He sits down at the table and says, all right, so I'm here. And for 
10 bucks, you can die, buy a dice back. And so, you know, like that kind of goes around. Um, well, he sits down first and he says, for 10 bucks, everybody can buy an extra die. And we're like, okay, yeah, let's do it. But everybody at the table has to do it. And then like one person doesn't. And we're like, you're silly. But anyway, so we all do it. And then like shenanigans happen. So like somebody buys in late. And so they pay like whatever, $40 to get three dice. And then I'm like, well, I don't want you to sit there. So I look at Todd and I say, I will give you $20 if I get to pick where he sits. And Todd's like, yeah, that seems fair. And so there's all of these shenanigans going around. I pay like another $20 later to like switch two people's seats because I don't like them sitting next to each other because they're like clearly in cahoots with each other. So I need some space between them. So between paying to win and doing probability, I end up finishing third place um, and, and cashing out with a $75 table war gift certificate. So probably a net negative by the time you count all my donations, but still it was for charity. Yeah. So, but I had a lot of fun and I figured out what we were doing before this. Nice. We played the, we played God tier. Oh yeah. For a little bit to try that out. And then you guys were playing Lorcana right before we, went out and then oh we yeah we tucked into the board game room and yeah, we also played out. a demo of Warcrow. we did play a demo, demo of Warcrow. so there was Gosh. lots of other demos that happened yeah so nice. so with the backup Warcrow, very similar to i would almost put it on um so Warcrow, if you're not familiar by corvus belly um it's kind of like high fantasy squad based that's coming out next spring um it looks very complicated when you first sit down and look at the cards, um, you know, the unit cards, but to me it plays a lot like MCP. So it had this like kind of dice proc um, dice mechanic that felt like MCP on Thursday night to fill in the memory gaps. Um, we went downstairs and Don and um, Matt yeah. were down there playing underworlds. So Ger- Gerard and I played Loracana that night as well. Um, nice. And then we just bro, uh, browsed through the um, the Adeptus Titanicus Hall, which was really cool to see all that stuff out there. And then we taught Skylar and Brian how to play MCP. Oh, and, that's right. And you and that was the late Don night, played, the night. Yeah, played MCP yeah. that night. So that was before Liars Dice. That's what. Was, so we played Dune Imperium, then went over there. In the meantime, Gerard showed up, and that's when I got to say, like, everyone's like, "What are you doing?" I'm not leaving here. And literally yep. the next three days I stay down there. Yep. So then fast forward go. back to Friday night, you're in Liar's Dice. We're playing Mars, um, Terraforming Mars, which is a really fun game. It's me, Danny, and Trace. Very fun game. It takes a little bit to get going, but again, it's this kind of like deck building resource management. Um, you know, you kind of get get all your resources going, and we're buying all these projects and probably playing it not the most efficiently. But not one, but two people walk over that are extremely, maybe had one or two Chardonnays on the walk over there and try to like, we're almost done. Like there's like 15 minutes left in the game. And they're like, you should be playing like this. It's like, yeah, we've been playing this for two hours. Like, just let us, let us finish it. Um, So we finished that right about when you finish Liar's Dice. And this is the night after Liar's Dice, everyone goes to dinner and I'm like, I'm not leaving. I'm staying right here. Amon invited me to a game of cockroach poker um, at the 
the main table down there. And I love, like, we learned how to play cockroach poker last year. So I sit down and play uh, cockroach poker with a couple of the GW staffers, a couple of the Nova staffers, uh, and just, you know, people that we've met over the years. Then you guys come back from dinner, and it (laughs) evolves into Liar's Dice again. And this is where, like, you know, if I had to sum up Nova, for me, this is what Nova is. It's just a bunch of people that like have made friendships over the years and making new friendships in this setting, playing a game that doesn't really matter Nope. to all hours of the night. And again, I suck at liar's dice because I don't do the probability. Like it took me a minute to even understand how to like raise and all this other stuff. So I get out fairly early, but Bridget does not. And but Bridget is doing other things, so like running the board game yeah, checkout, right? So I end up by playing her dice, and somehow I like make it with her dice till the last three people, yeah. And then so she comes back, um, she beats Nick Nadavati at the at the end, and yeah, all is right in the world. Um, that's right. So that was that was Friday night, um, and Tracy, I think you had gone to bed, but Jared, it was like. I- Three o'clock. It was an early night for me. I was oh, cool. that was that was my early night. I went to bed at like midnight that night. Yeah, Friday night extended for us, Jason. Yes, but we're we're not going to talk about the fact that we sun karaoke. No, we're not going to. Why? That. Why would we not do that? <laughs> Listen, when you when you sing "Sweet Caroline," you're not singing karaoke. You're just <laughs> conducting the room into singing along with it. It was the perfect song. Like there was there was nothing. Yeah, there was no shame there. No, all the shame. That was, I'm sorry, no, for dude. Anyone that was there, I'm sorry for my sultry. N- n- nobody even remembers <laughs> that. Nope. No, it was amazing. But yeah, I think we called it at like three. Yeah. So, but again, great memories. <laughs> a lot of a lot of new friends. A lot of new people. And that really, like that Friday night, is exactly why I take time away from my family is to go and do that kind of things to play back-to-back board games to sit at a table to to do that kind of stuff was uh was awesome um and then saturday just to kind of like speed up the rest of our day so we get to sunday uh saturday we wake up i am tired but we're forging on uh, i think every day we are up at 7 8 o'clock which was my plan to be all along jared was up at five no matter what and um listen i slept till like seven on (laughs) saturday um so saturday we play mcp um we go down there trace is actually going to play in the tournament of mcp yeah he is yeah he is that was the plan (laughs) that was the plan what happened uh somebody brought the wrong set of cards with him and had way too many restricted cards and cards that had no, nothing to do with the people that I brought with me. So I was like, whoopsie doodle. Well, we're not, I'm, you know, talk, talk to the TO. And I was like, look, this is the situation. Um, I was like, I'm just going to drop. So I did, which was fine because it just let me come and hang out with you guys some more, which is really the goal for the whole weekend anyway. Um, and I did the most important thing that I could have done in the game with Danny and Jared and Jason, which is get Hawkeye killed. 
Yeah. What is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we go down to play and we play the crisis. Um, where the we're Dormammu playing encounter. Dormammu. Yeah. The encounter. Yeah. And my team is Dr. Strange, uh, Scarlet Witch, Hawkeye, and Spider-Man. Yep. And Jared, you're playing. I brought Cable and Psylocke and X-23 and Honey Badger and Domino. And so we start to play. Everything's going fine. Brian shows up from our local group. He needs a place to put his stuff So before check-in. So I was like, hey, Trace, don't mess this up. Just play a turn. Everything was perfect when I left. I went and got Brian all checked in. He was there. Jake showed up. You know, got the the un the un ones all situated into the events. I come back, Hawkeye's dead, and Jared is almost dead and has like one shard. That, yeah. No, uh, let, let's let's be clear. I was the one who started collecting shards. <laughs> Jared was like, "Trace, bring Spider Man." I was like, "No, I am getting the shards. He can go back and forth and boop 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 over and over because we have to close the portals." Not no. Jared just wanted to bash. <laughs> well, that's what X Force is supposed to do, but they did not do it very well. They just got bashed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mama I think we were just bonked, just bonked I th- everybody. I think we're like on turn three, and I had two fighters left out of my five man roster. So, so needless to say, Dramamo took over the natural world. Um, yep. he now owns everything, but it was still fun. Uh, those are always extremely difficult if you don't bring a certain team to game it, uh, which we yeah. try not to. Um, so that was fun. Uh, like I said, Brian and Jake were there. And then at this point, you'd won nothing, Jared. You've come in third in Liar's Dice and lost at everything Second else. in Dune Imperium and then just gotten trounced at everything else I've played. Yep, because even the night before or two nights before when you played the, the Tudo match with Don and MCP, you got pretty trounced that night. Yeah, too. I got so, shellacked too. Yep, yep. Um, and I will, just a side note, because we didn't talk about the night because of memory, um, teaching the game of MCP. So Trace and I sat there with Brian and Skyler and taught it and just kind of you know, were, were observant to what was going on was probably one of my most enjoyable times with MCP. Like just to see the cool interactions that happen um, against just heroes was just really really fun so uh, thank both of them for for being part of that um but then at that point i will say at that point at the end of jumamu the late night early mornings for four days in a row hit me and i don't i i think i was drooling on myself i was literally sleeping standing up but trace is like you want to play some underworlds i was like yes like (laughs) so you and Danny continued to play MCP, so you re-racked and actually played a yeah. traditional game of MCP. So, so I'm, I'm going to jump in. So at this point, like, I have literally won nothing. And, you know, like, I'd like to consider myself a mature adult. We all know that isn't really true. But, like, it actually, like, hit me. Like, I, like, it affected me that, like, I had just been losing, like, all week at everything. Um, like to the point where I looked at everybody at the table and I was like, like, I, I just gotta, like, I, I gotta step away. Like I need to go get a drink. I gotta step away. I gotta catch some air in that time. Like I went to check, like, see how Jimmy was doing. 
um, and, and playing Mess BG, uh, the Middle Earth strategy battle game, uh, in the tournament that he was playing in. Um, ran into Danny like while I was doing that. So like I had walked away. You guys were going to go do your thing. I guess Danny went to check on Jimmy, and then I ran into Danny on the in the fantasy hall. But like it's just I don't know. Like I felt like it was important to acknowledge that like losing all the time can suck and it like can affect you and I don't like it, but, but it is a thing. She remember this next time we play. I I was remembering it while we were playing <laughs> underworlds on Sunday, Trace. Oh, little foreshadowing there. So, so, so you guys go play Underworlds. Yeah, so we play Underworlds. Trace needed to tune up for his war band, and I'm always down to play. So we go back to the board game lounge um, and sit down there. And it was really cool because uh, the, because there was more Underworlds players there this time. Like we already mentioned, we saw Don and Matt playing the one night there. But other people came up to us. Um, Kingfish in our... Kingfisher, yep. Yeah, Kingfisher Oliver. came up. Oliver, thank you. Came up, said hello to us. Um, and then, of course, Brian and Jake were there, so they came over and sat down awkwardly eating pizza, Brian. Um, <laughs> I can't describe that on, on video or, I'm sorry, on microphone. Radio. Radio. The next time that we're in person, please ask me about the Brian story. Boy, oh, boy. Um, but... Uh, so it was good. We got tuned up. Like I, I believe I beat Trace by one glory, uh, which I th- sure made him feel good for that game, which made me feel really nervous uh, for Sunday. Um, but it was great. And then how did your game go with Danny? So I lost. <laughs> but I had a lot of fun. Um, I brought uh, Magneto, Juggernaut, and Sabretooth Apex Predator against A-Force. Um, so he had She-Hulk, Captain Marvel, Black Widow, and uh, and Angel, Angel, no Angela, Valkyrie, Irvana, no Valkyrie. Valkyrie. It was Valkyrie. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, it got to a, there was a point where you know uh, a couple of die rolls. I think I could have made something happen, um, but Magneto's ability to just use six defense for two power against any attack is really good. Um, so that helped a lot, but, um, yeah, but it was a much more enjoyable experience than getting just shellacked by Dormammu or Necrons or demons. Now, to be fair, there was a couple of roles that just kind of fell the wrong way in our game. If no, it's yeah, no, yeah, I'm not discounting that, but they did fall the wrong way and it led to a loss. So, um, but it, yeah, but it, like, it was just a fun, like dumb MCP game. There was a ton of terrain, terrain thrown. There was a, there were a ton of characters thrown. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was fun. I had a good time. So we finished up, we wrapped up. You guys were wrapping up Underworlds. I don't remember what we got into for the rest of Saturday night. We went to we went to dinner that night. That was a oh, that's right. Yeah, we went to everybody. the yeah, we went back to the English pub. Yeah, Brian Skyler, Bobby that came in, fun. so we got to meet Bobby from the the uh, Madison crew. Um, what a gem Bobby is, man! I, I like me yeah. some Bobby. 
Bobby's a good guy. Um, yeah, and then we just kind of moseyed around and came back. And like I said, I was I was already extremely tired. Uh, I that night I I we we went back. Um, we ended up with talking with Jimmy and Gerard and hanging out. Um, down in the gaming lounge but i don't even remember if i played anything that night and i just remember at one point going and my brain is done and yeah. we were in bed at like 10 30 <laughs> yeah. yeah everybody uh, yeah. For yeah. Sunday. that night so yeah, yeah that's true and that was the thing that we were also thinking about is i was specifically thinking about i needed to get through five games of warhammer underworlds in one day and i was not going to be able to do that on another night of four hours of sleep yeah so it was oh i know what else we did on saturday it was very important to me oh what we had to pack yeah heard that 17 times on saturday yeah it is a testament to how fried my brain was from lack of sleep i think i told everybody like how important it was that we needed to pack we need to pack i think we need to go go back to the room and pack for a little while and take stuff to the car we gotta take stuff to the car we got to pack. We need to pack. So guess what? what? Else we, we, went, we went and packed. We did. We did go and pack. It was great because who did we see when we packed the car? The rat. Our friend, saw, the we rat. Saw, we saw Scritter. We did saw, we did saw Scritter. He so, scrittered right along the wall. So anyway, at 90 minutes into this podcast, that was really our Nova Open convention like from Wednesday to Saturday. Right. Yep. And to summarize, which could be done in about 30 seconds, for me, it fulfills a ton of great people, a ton of great games, no matter what it was. It was the first convention that I went to that I was signed up for stuff, but I didn't play in anything that I was signed up for. I just played whatever was kind of there in front of us with a ton of demos. And like by Saturday night, it was just perfection. Like, yeah, I, I thought that the layout was good. I thought what we, going out to eat was good. Like everything for me was perfect. I was having a great time. We went back to the room and crashed. Um, guys, like anything to add to your first like couple days in Nova? Like, did it meet all expectations? Was it better, worse? Uh, I think I mean, it was definitely better than last year. Yeah, I would me. agree with that. I would agree with and that. I, I think it's because I think we all really kind of focused on doing what we wanted to do. I mean, involving each other in that, but like being vocal, being sure about what we wanted to do. Like Jason, the fact that you were like, no, like I'm living in the board game lounge. Like this is where I live. This is where you can find me. Like you were unapologetic about it. Like not in a bad way, but like you were, you were just like, this is where I live. And like at the same token at two 30 in the morning, I'm like, guys, I'm done. I'm going to bed. I know that we're literally in the middle of a conversation and somebody probably just asked me a question, but like, I got to go to sleep. And like, there was one point when I went to go call Jenny and I was like, I'm just going to sit up here and take a nap for a minute and then I'll come back down. And that's, yeah. that's when I came down to Lorcana after the, after uh, we had convened. So I, I really enjoyed it. I thought that we, I thought that we, like you said, we did a good job of like vocalizing what we wanted to do and just being assertive about what each one of us wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yep. And the board game lounge felt like the charity lounge had felt 
in years past. Like just random tables with random convention At goers. Closer. At least closer. I don't think anything yeah. will replace the rooftop bar, but no. Um, well, but I think I, I think it had more of the Nova open feel this year than it did last year by a long yes. margin. Yeah. Um, being in one venue, not having to go to two separate places to one for AOS and then one for 40 K and everything else like, um, vastly improved as far as venue and community and the feel of the convention this year. So yeah, I agree with that. Yep. Cool. Cool. So we'll go to bed. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back with the Sunday hotness. And we're back and we made it to Sunday in Nova, which we've already stated was a fantastic convention. We're riding high from all our friends and meeting new friends but now we go into the meat and potatoes of why I go to Nova, and that's to participate in a Grand Clash. So we get up Sunday. Everything's set to go. I'm bringing the nemesis of all nemesis. Nemesi? Nemesis? Nemesis? Nemeso? In the Heffalumps. The Heffalum. Um, you know, so my thought going into kind of this Grand Clash is I only get to go to one a year. And a little history for our listeners is about six weeks, maybe two months ago, I asked a question question in a couple of discords because there was a lot of this talk about Heffalum being OP. And I was like, okay, if you could change one thing or if there's one thing about Heffalum that is OP, what is it? And there really wasn't a good answer. Like it was like their cards are just good, right? Or this or that. So locally, I started playing them to see, like, okay, what what do I need to know going into Nova, like, if I want to dismantle dismantle them? And there was one problem, gentlemen. I fell in love with their play style. Yeah, you did. I did. We knew that was going to happen, though. Yes. So it's eyes of the nine, but better. (laughs) Yeah, way better. Um, So I played a lot of that. So that's what I took, and (laughs) yes, a lot, lot better, Trace. And I took him with Seismic Shock. Because I really enjoy the magic of it. So um, I thought there was really good synergies there. I think the naysayers would say that if um, Heffalum goes down, you don't really have much of a deck. That is true to a point, but I can still achieve my objective deck with the rest of the Warband. I just don't have a lot of tools in my power deck, but whatever tools I do have, I'm going to get to because I can salvage. Heck yeah. So that was where my mind was going into to Sunday. That's what I was bringing. Trace, where did you land going into Sunday? I'm a dirty rat. Um, <laughs> I brought the I brought the new the new stinkiness. Um, leading up to Nova in parallel to Jason's journey to perfect his Ephilim deck. Um, I beat my head against that deck for weeks and, um, originally thought about bringing the stabby assassin rats and the skitter shanks claw pack, uh, to try and take out FLM like 
as soon as possible. Not just thinking about F1, but just thinking about a, the nature of a lot of the war bands in the meta right now that are very leader centric. Um, didn't really feel like painting them. I liked where I was going with that, and I may revisit that after, like once we start playing again in our local meetups. Um, and then I tried out Ripa with Tooth and Claw, which is very good um, when you hit. Mm. <laughs> Um, if you don't hit and you're playing against a deck that does not require you to hit and allows just for positioning and stuff like that, it can get out of hand really quickly. Um, so I leaned really heavy into something that did not require a lot of dice rolls. It required some, but not a lot. Um, and that was the new Scavix play pack. Um, they play very positional. I was playing more of the corruption style build. Um, which I really enjoyed just trying to corrupt territory um, and making things smelly for my opponent. Um, paired them with um, Void Curse Thralls because there was a lot of things in that, in that deck that complemented and enhanced some of the lacking characteristics on the Scavic Plague Pack cards. Um, not being able to be pushed off of objectives with drive back is really important for them, especially with the befowlers. Um, there's also some other cool tech in there. Like you can turn one into a, a void curse fighter and then give them an additional shield, uh, with some of the defense cards that are in there. Um, additional minus one damage cards. There's just a lot of cool little things in there that helps them to stay on the board longer. And they're not a very resilient war band to begin with. Um, there's lots of movement shenanigans in that deck, which helps to get your positioning correct to, to corrupt territory. Um, lots of fun stuff. So that's what I ended up taking. Nice. Jared. Yeah. So uh, I ran through some paces leading up to Nova, trying to figure out what to take. Um, I tried uh, uh, avoided Void Curse Cunning Crew. That didn't really work out well for me. I tried uh, a couple of variations of Crimson Court because I was trying to go with something that was familiar and kind of easy to play, and that didn't really work for me. And so I ultimately settled on, like I guess, my standby since uh, Nova of last year. I mean, really, since um, since uh, Narlwood released, and that's been the Sons of Elmorn uh, with Fearsome Fortress. Um, and I did that um, mostly because it's something that I'm very comfortable with. Um, the decision trees are already mapped out in my brain uh, for what to do as far as, like, what board to put down, where I'm trying to put tokens, all of that stuff. There's a ton of stagger in... Uh, in some fortress that I really like for Valmorn because uh, it helps to proc those crits to get the inspiration. Um, and then I'm not going to lie. Like there was a little part of me that was curious to see just how well I could do with what a lot of people consider to be an underrated warband. Um, so there was a small part of that in there. Um, and I did have a soft goal of being the top ranked Velmorn player at Nova, not knowing how many Velmorn players there were going to be. I would, I was kind of joking in, an, in, in assuming that there were not going to be any other Velmorn players. 
uh, when I made that soft goal. Um, but it, it turned out to work out okay for me. I mean, not as well as other people's choices on this podcast, but, but it worked out all right. Not the first two rounds though. Yeah. Right. So something, so some things that I just want to bring up before we get into kind of like our experiences in the rounds. Um, you know, I want to give a huge shout out to our TO Teresa for doing it again. And, um, from a player base standpoint, we ended up with 31 players. We had 32 signed up. There were a couple of drops. And the reason we got to 31 is because of the wait list. So yep. I think that just right out the gate, the fact we're at 31 players, yeah, it sucks that someone took a buy. And sorry, Brian, you were that person. Um, it sucks that you traveled to take a buy. But to only have one vacant seat at the start of a tournament for any tournament is just huge. Yeah, that's um, amazing. The fact that last year, you know, Teresa kind of did it. She uh, So RTO, she does not play Underworlds. Like, she does it just so we have someone that runs the tournament. She has no um, real deep understanding of the game, just a basic understanding of the game. And she volunteered to do it last year, which we had, what, 11? Did we have 11 last year? We had 11 last year, yep. Yeah. And now it's grown three times as much, right? Um, and she does it again, but with that, there were some things that came up that I would like to discuss again, even before we get into just how the tournament went one, an FAQ dropped for the second year in a row, the weekend of Nova on Saturday, there was an FAQ that came out and I think everyone agrees that an FAQ the day before the event probably should not be used. Yep. Uh, but it does suck that two years in a row we got this nice FAQ and then played a Grand Clash that could not use it. Right. She had already predetermined that uh, the Paths of Prophecy or the Mathematician's Revenge was not allowed, but the Plague Pack was. Yep. Um, which good, great. But in... Other rulings, there was a lot of rules in the previous FAQ that were beta. And some other players did message the TO before the tournament and said, hey, our beta rules in effect. And, to, and her ruling was, no, they're like we are not playing with any beta rules. So that means Crushes does not have the wall counter beta rule. Uh, Narl Spirit Pack does not have the Beast Token beta rule. Um and there's some other ones that I'm forgetting, but I don't know if they were actually at the tournament. So, um, yeah, I think those were the two. Nah, big ones. I think the gets was the gets was like four glory or something like that. Yeah, but there weren't there weren't any gets. There wasn't so. any gets. So the beta rules were not in effect. Now, this was a little controversial in the fact that no one asked. It wasn't really widely known going into the tournament. And more importantly, last year we played with the beta rules. So I just assumed that they would be in effect, but shame on me for not asking. So that kind of defined round one or the end of round one was like, hey, there was these rulings and people were having responses to that. Um, There were definitely some feelings. Yes, some feelings. And that's okay. That is okay. But 
Um, and then some other things came up during the event so that we haven't had to deal with at least, I mean, once again, we go to one major tournament a year, but back in the day, pre COVID there was defined rulings from games workshop on what happened if these things happened in their player pack. And to right. my knowledge, there is no player pack other than the documents for the format. So what happens if a player takes a buy? Yeah, how do you score that? How do you score it? That's not defined right now. It used to be defined. It did used to be defined. It used to be they got, what, a glory differential of 15? 15, yes. Yep. So they got two wins for tournament points and a glory diff of, of 15. plus 15. Yeah. Yep. So that or was, was it 14, two seven. It was 15. It was, it 15, was 15. Flat 15. I think now, personally, it should be 14 is what I would push, like seven and seven. Sure. Um, the other thing too is like what happens if someone concedes a round? So this right. does not happen a lot in any other game, but the fact that we play best of three, there may come a point where you know you need to get to game three. Now the round limits were moved to 105 minutes, um, which is like an hour and 45 minutes, right? Yep. So um, from 90. But if you're getting blown out in game one, you may want to concede because the only way you will be able to come back and win is if you take game two and three and you don't want to be hard pressed. So we had people and trace, you had one that conceded around Mm -hmm. and we have no defined thing of what to do. So any thoughts on what we should do? I know what we did and I know what happened in the tournament, but like now that you, we know is going to happen. What are your thoughts on if somebody wants to concede around? Um, I think there needs to be like, it's just a straight loss. Like you don't, the winner gets X number of glory. The loser gets X number of glory. That's how you define it. Yeah. Um, just for cleanliness of, you know, glory differential and all this other stuff. Like it gives you an option. Like, you know, what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I forgot where I saw this read, but it was in our discord somewhere, but somebody was talking about, um, like just flat values of like, if you, if you concede around, you take zero glory and your opponent takes seven. Yep. And it's capped and it's capped at that. So like, if yeah. you, you know, that's a, that's a plus seven glory diff for you. And then you play your next round. If you win your next round, then you're done. Um, yeah. But it does allow for that third game to be played if need be. Um, yeah. So I think that that's probably the cleanest way to handle it. Um, but right now that's not defined in any way. Right yeah. now it's I- very messy. Because we don't, because the way we're supposed to be playing is we're supposed to play all the way through the game, right? right? You're supposed to either take the official pass action or just draw cards or do whatever if you don't feel like you're going to win. Um, that is typically the way that we have handled that in the past. Um, I don't necessarily hate the idea of a concession um, just for, you know, expediting the round. Yep. Um, but it does need some defined rules, I think. 
And that's, yeah, yeah. that is the cleanest way in my opinion to handle it. Jared, Jared, your thoughts? Yeah. So I think whatever, whatever the ruling is for a buy, like that's the kind of win that you should get for a concession. I would agree um, with that. And I, and I think it, um, I think the point of it is what you were talking about, Jason, is it's, is it's okay. Like I'm going to, we're going to call this game. You get seven points. I get zero. Cause I want to get to game two, try to squeeze a win out of that to force you into a game three. And that's going to be the only way to have time to do that and have reasonable round times at the same time. Um, and it can go the other way too, right? So like, let's say I win game one and then I start, like I know that I'm going to get blown out in game two. Like I can just concede and then we hit the roll off for game three. And now we both get to play like the full experience for this battle in a best of three. I mean, I'm not, something would be better than nothing, right? Yeah. The problem so, is, is that in the event that we are playing in with 31 players and five rounds, there theoretically could have been a tie for top spot and right. glory differential mattered. And right. the seven just doesn't like, if yeah. I'm beating some, like my glory differential was not, it was much higher than seven. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. if you're going to do that, and I believe it was I think it was Aikenborn Le- or Cryos said you – it might have been Lathium. I think it was Leathenum. Leathenum. And I, so I think it's one of the European communities. He was saying that what they do is you don't score glory differential. It Your glory differential is capped at seven per game. So That's like if I game. score – yeah, so if I score 15 glory and you only score three – Still kept then I get a win, you get zero points, I get seven. So like you count the differential and then you cap it at seven. So like if the differential is less, then you score it at what at it was. So Trace, I get fourteen, you get fifteen. Well, you would, I would put zero glory in, you would put one glory in, um, and it. So like you, the there's a ceiling to the glory differential but the floor is like still zero. So there's still room for true ties. I think what that does is it squashes the, um, it's going to squash the secondary, like the tiebreaker yes. um, and make that a lot tighter, which could be good because then it means that the pairings are, if the pairings are based off of those secondaries, then the pairings get a lot tighter. Um, as opposed to like, you know, the top always fighting the top and the bottom always fighting the bottom or whatever the case is. Um, just depending, because I, I don't remember how BCP does the pairings anymore. But I, ran, I think it's just random Swiss. It's after just the, random right now. Random yeah. Swiss after the first. Yeah. So I think that would be, you know, kind of one way to handle it. Um, and I don't remember which community he said was doing. I can't remember if he mm-hmm. said it was the Spanish community or the Italian community. It's the Italian community. But I think that it is. I'm fine if that's what the, again, a ruling is better than no ruling, right? Yes. Um. But I don't think you can do one without the other. I think Agreed. that if you don't cap the glory diff, then taking a buy can really you ruin your um, chances, or you will see game and gamesmanship later on with the concessions. Yep. Like someone, you know, let's say we're playing in a tournament and Trace is going to win, but his glory diff is like not the greatest, and I'm playing the person that he's up against. I can just be like, oh, I'm going to concede. And like right. cap his glory diff, and then 
you know, give my friend yeah. a better chance of winning. So I, yeah. I think that you have to have both or that if someone is going to concede, you just add seven to your glory, like, and yeah. you make those, the glory differentials even larger. But I think the easiest way is to condense. And then no matter what you do, you just get plus seven. Um, yeah. It also, it would encourage people to concede then. So, right. Yeah. And I, I think, so I think without any of those things, the way that Teresa ran the buy is that she averaged the glory diff for the round. And I think that's pretty fair because you get the buy, you get a win, but you're stuck in the middle of the winner pack. Yes. Right. Like it mm-hmm. doesn't shoot you to the top. You didn't play a real game. I mean, it's unfortunate, right? Like I, I mean, I got the buy last year and it elevated me probably to a higher position than I would have necessarily gotten if I had played all four games. But yeah, I mean, it is, it's still random, right? Like the game is random. The pairings are random. The buy is random. So like, you know, and then the, the other kind of controversial thing with that we don't have guidelines on for running a tournament is, is when the games do go to time. Yeah. So, what do you do at time? Dice in, down. Yeah. Time. In, in the past, in Nova one, Nova two, in the grand clashes that I played in time was time dice down. It yep. doesn't matter where you are. That right. was the glory that counted. Yep. So it could be activation three of turn two dice down doesn't feel really good if you have an end phase scoring warband or right. it could have been you know turn one four activations for each player dice down that's the the so um yeah so the, and there was some instances of the, of this through the tournament like we had a game that played through half of lunch we had a game that had to be hard dice down um yeah. at like with 10 additional minutes and we had a game hard dice down uh, with like 12 extra minutes. And then I also saw two people that ran overtime were in their third game and just said, we're not going to count the third game. We're just going to go one, one. Yeah. Right. And that happened a couple times in the tournament. Yeah. There were a lot of, a lot of pairings where they went one, one and they looked at the amount of time left in the round, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And they're like, we're not going to finish game three. So it was a mutual agreement. Like we'll call this a draw. We'll take, the draw points and move on with our lives. But it, there were definitely some feel bads out there when yes, there had to be the ruling of like, this is what the score is. So do we need a tournament standard of what happens now? I think an hour and 45 is actually a pretty good round time. Um, I think so. Two hours is fine. Like you could bump it to two hours, but then your day goes later. But let's just say we move it to two hours. Like that's the standard round. Um, It does mean that there probably is a lot of downtime for a lot of people, but that's not a terrible thing. Right. Um, But I, what I would say if it was, if I was T.O. Jason, I would make a call with 35 minutes left in the round. So we'll just say at 90 minutes. Sure. Or 85 minutes into the round. If you are not finishing game two and within the next five minutes, like you can decide to play on and go to game three, but when dice down, dice are down. If the ruling comes to me and say, Hey, we don't have enough time after 30 minutes left in the round, I would say no game could start. 
Yeah. So you would leave it to the players like, hey, you can decide to do this if you really think that it's going to matter and you can get a game in within 20 minutes. Go ahead. But when dice are down, dice are down. Like, And the score is what the score is. The score is. is what the score is. You don't get to score your end phase. Nope. Whatever okay. you, wherever point you're at, when dice are down, dice are down. But if you're asking for a TO to make a rule, like, like, Hey, like, you know, like you and I are playing Jared and right. we're getting, we need a game three, but we're only in turn two of game two. Right. And we finish our game and there's 20 minutes left in the round and you like, Hey, we're just going to tie two, two or tie one, one. And I'm like, no, I, I want to play another game. So you say, judge, you raise your hand, judge, right. judge comes over. Is there 30 minutes left in the round? No, then game's done. Yeah. I, I mean, you've you've talked about this, but I mean, maybe that's something that we draft. We community, like as a community of Warhammer Underworlds players, we we create a living tournament guideline document. Yeah. And not an FAQ, but just a tournament no. scoring document. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, we're not making any rulings on card interactions, fighter interactions. Just this is, these are our firm recommendations as a community for how scoring should be handled in a tournament setting, how timing should be handled in a tournament setting. And then if tournaments don't follow it, they at least have the questions that they need to answer going into a tournament. Like if they don't like the answers that the community comes up with, then they need to have those, their own answers and they can communicate those answers to their players well in advance of the tournament. So a, a TO can decide how they want to run a buy, how they want to handle dice down, how they want to handle a tie, how they want to handle concessions. But at least they know that these are the things that they need to communicate to their players in advance of the tournament so that there aren't questions and arguments happening at the tournament. I agree. So let's do it. So we'll host it. Battle-mallet.com slash TO guidelines <laughs> coming soon to a URL near you. Good. I think probably not that URL, but yeah. we'll get something started. But it's really just like, you know, a couple things that have to be. Yeah. Like, yep. FAQs not in like FAQs within two weeks of event should not be in use. Right. Like, right. Yeah. All of those questions. Yeah. All right. Cool. So round one. Trace, how did round. round one go? So round one, I ended up playing Oliver um, from our Discord chat. Uh, he played Headsman's Curse, and he was our first example of the situation we were talking about. He was like, I just want to concede this first round, and let's get on to the next round. I totally got why he wanted to do that. Um so we did that, and we got on to game two, which I ended up winning our second round, my second round as well. Um, but it was a great game. Like, he was a great opponent. Um, the dice just came out hot in the first round. Um, I managed to get the managed to get the wielder of the blade down in both games, um, which, was, which was big. Um, yeah, so it was, it, was a quick, it was a quick one. Um, 
but was we, there anything had... that anything that surprised you playing Void Curse Rats that you were like that's really cool or that, that really synergized well? Um, the additional defense dice on the shielded fighter was really good. Yeah, um, that's solid. And then Skritter did some nice shenanigans, just getting onto objectives and doing what he does, just lurking around in the background, because not a lot of folks really will pay attention to him unless you actually move him in a meaningful way. Um, you don't yeah, happen to remember what his nemesis deck was, do you? Uh, he was playing... Um, he was playing, um, what's the daring Delvers? He was playing Delvers with Delvers with Headsman, Headsman Curse. Headsman. Yeah, nice. Did he was he heavily into exploration or just using it for the ping damage? Uh, a little bit of the ping damage, and then the um, just trying to get into my territory. I think his thought was just being aggressive with them and trying to get into my territory with them. Um. He played very well. Um, he had some, you know, unfortunate dice rolls. Um, he actually played. He played the bearer of the block in an interesting way, where he put the upgrade on that didn't allow you to move no. on there, and just like lurched him into my back lines. So he was hanging out with, you know, um, the secondary priest rat. I forget his name. Itch it. Itch it. He was hanging out with Itch it. So I couldn't like move away. I couldn't do all that fun stuff. So he just got kind of started trying to wail. And that was where the double defense characteristic came in and additional supports and stuff because he was surrounded, but he wouldn't let my fighters move. So I had to kind of just sit there and try and chip away at him. Um, Poxlix tanked a lot of damage in that second game. Uh, nice. So, yeah, it was it was interesting. It was It was a good game. Um, and then, you know, took the second game. Oh, we're not there yet. No, 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 no. Took the second, the second game, game in the, in the first, first match. match. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it was, but he was a great opponent. He, you know, he had a lot of fun. He expressed a lot of gratitude for, you know, being patient with him and just trying to like, you know, he's coming back to the game after a while of being away from it, you know, former magic player. A lot of stuff like that so i was happy to play with him in the first round um and i would love to get a game with him again at some point awesome nice so jared you're setting out on this quest to be the greatest sons of valmar player ever yep how does round one go horrible <laughs> so i i sit down across uh the table from craig Vieira, um who is playing the gnarl spirit pack with tooth and claw um, and, uh, round one goes about how everyone would expect the classic, uh, Gnarlwood rivalry pairing to go. Um, I am tabled by the third activation of, r uh, action phase two. Uh, and so he's ready to just re-rack and I like, before he starts shuffling his cards up, I say, okay, in a tournament setting, we've got time you should walk through the rest of your four activations. I'm going to take the official pass action. I have one glory at this point. I think I have killed one. No, I haven't even killed a fighter. I like uh, charged. I sc scored bold sortie probably. And that's it. Um, so he ends up taking it 13 to one. Um, and then we get into game two. 
um, things are really tight. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a little better, um, as far as playing the counter punch game, which is what Valmorn Fortress really wants to play. Um, you know, get some good attacks, end up taking out two of his fighters. Uh, we tally up the final score and it is 14, 13 him. So mm. I lose, lose game two by one. It was tight. It was close. I thought I was going to be able to push him to game three or at least pull the draw out. Right. If we weren't going to have time to game to go into game three, um, but it gave us time to just chat and hang out yeah. afterwards. So, so round one loss for the, for the, for the J man <laughs> and for the sons of Velmorn. So, so not looking too good on the uh, <laughs> top Velmorn player right now on game two, who like <coughs> who placed first board. So game one, he won the roll off. So game two, I got to choose. Okay. Um, yeah. And so that'll be a theme actually. Is it a theme? It is a theme. So what did you, you offset you long board? Like how did you, Yeah. so like I offset him a little bit to try to funnel. I can't offset too much. Right. Cause I want feature tokens within one hex of no one's territory. Yeah. Um, and particularly for Velmorn because they have, um, objectives where things are not in their territory. I want to try, I would love to have two objectives in no one's territory, but if I can get an objective and a feature token in no one's territory, then that's not, I'm not pushing too far, but I'm also not stuck in my own territory. Yeah. So. Well, good. So you're off to a great start. Off to Um, a great start. But how about you? But it's a little bit of a moral victory that you're playing non nerf beta narrow spear pack into sons of Elmore. And you only lost by one. Yeah. In game one, only lost by 12. Well, the other game, you know, know. dice are going to dice. So dice are going to dice. Yeah. So I sit down and I have the pleasure of playing George or Kryos. Kairos. Kairos. You know, it's names. Kairos. Path to glory. (laughs) Path to glory. Um, And he is playing Void Cursed Scabix Plague Pack. Um, Which, so. Leading up to Nova, I had done really well. The deck had gone through a couple of refinements, but there were a couple of warbands that gave me a hard time. Um, Domitan. Domitan is really good. Jared's Sons of Elmorn, because Jared knows how to play Sons of Elmorn, which we'll get to in my round two. Um, and then Plague Pack. And I knew after playing Trace, and I also like kind of knew when I was putting, putting together my Void Cursed um, plague pack deck i'm like ooh, this could go really bad for velmorn um and it actually like that void curse build not of plague pack in particular but just void curse made me keep nine fates in in my deck as an objective so for anyone that wants to see our decks are posted on the library they're all out there you'll notice that i have 22 cards in my my deck Um, you're a beast (laughs) but i also kept nine fates which there is a much easier score where Valmorn can hold or Valmorn, oh my goodness, where Heflum can hold an objective and score a single glory over the two for nine fates, but I didn't want him on an objective because he could get Void Cursed. Um, So we sit down, we shake hands, we get everything all set up. Um, Believe it or not, like leading up to the Nova, I was like jazzed, right? Like I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta. When we sat down, like all that just went away and I was just happy to be there. I think we had such a great event um, that I was just like, okay, I'm just ready to go. 
And yeah. he, George, just mops the floor with me. Nice. So he comes in. He, um, I, well, I knew game one. So my opening hand was nine fates and, um, oh my goodness, the one where I have to hold all the objectives in my claim the prize, I think it's called. Claim the prize, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I had another end score too. And oh, my geez. my thought was the board positioning from the far as objectives one, I had two on my side. One was in no man's and the other two was in his. And I was like, if I can score these turn one, Ooh. and I had the tools in my power hand or so I thought um, to do it. And I'm like, if I can score these, that might be game over. Like I might get, you know, six glory plus I was hoping to get a kill. So that could be seven glory round one. I'm going to let it ride. That's spicy. But he elected to have me go first. So <sighs> this is what playing an experienced player. Yeah. Like he knows that he's going to get a chance to counter that objective. Um, holding of objectives at some point. And uh, he comes in and they get a lot of dice in that build and he just bops and bops. He at one point moved across, then back across the line and then across again. Um, yeah. So he ended up by getting like two or three attacks with, uh, you know, their big fighter on three dice. Um, I am tabled after the second round. Um, I think I, I th the game ended up by being eight to four. So it was kind of close, but I knew it was out of hand that game one. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, he got to settle down. Cause he was like, he was on an 11. Okay. Right. He was like there. Here's, here's Heffalum, like the, the, the big bad right away. He knows he's got to go through that war band and he was just at an 11. So I think by him taking game one, he kind of calmed down and we enjoyed it a little bit more after that in game two, game two, he blew me out of something like 19, three. And it kind of went the same way. Like I thought I had good positioning, um, and he just came in and he scything attacked and killed two. He void cursed another fighter, which meant that I could not attack at all in round three until he killed me. Um, so he played it really, really well. He had a great plan and I just like the cards didn't come out like I wanted to in game one and game two. No. I just couldn't do anything. And like he definitely outcritted me uh, for certain, but his plan was there and I think I only killed one fighter like the whole two games. So Oof, when you're playing play pack, that's not what you want uh want to do at all. Um and I'm pretty sure that I took his Void Curse fighter to like one health right out the gate in game two too. And it just didn't go. So hey, I'm down O2. I have a terrible glory differential. Um but I'm now I'm solid. Now I'm here. I'm just having fun. Yeah, and take that round one loss. Yeah, so round two, I go into Eugene, which he is playing Sons of Elmorn. So now everything is riding on me to make sure that this person I know can get the best Sons of Elmorn player in the tournament. And this is where I started to realize you said something after the tournament, and that Pandemonium is a super big gatekeeper warband yeah um it really resonated with me because that my next two opponents were newly returned to the game um 
And it's also why I asked how your sons of Elmore and what way the board are, were positioned and all that stuff. Because against the sons of Elmore build, I won this game in board deployment, objective deployment. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's where this warband can be a little bit of a gatekeeper. Um, so the, the scores were not even close. I made up all my glory differential, but this is what I learned. So I deployed because I play you so much. I deployed um, Heffalump in a more aggressive position than I normally would. Right. But all I did was count four spaces back from that center objective that I placed. Yeah. I got to place the first objective. He, he like wide, he wide set up me and I had three objectives. I put it right dead center. Yeah. Then I had a board where there was a starting hex four away. He put his additional hex within four. And then I just put the other two in the back of the board because his two objective placements were on his own board. Yeah. Right? So then I had second last row of my board. And it really, the first game went like this is I'm going to attack. I'm going to attack. I'm going to attack. Like that's all I, I like. Once I got my fa- figures onto my objectives that I needed on my side of the board, yeah. I just rolled magic dice all, all game. So the point when we got to game two, like we had this kind of like conversation and he was asking for, you know, certain things. And I'm like, listen, this game, like playing this matchup and what you're trying to do is one in deployment. I let him pick board. Like I put down like an objective. He put down his objective. And then I was like, just stop. And I actually moved my two objectives up to row three, which was a misdeployment, but at least then there was some damn interaction in the game. Right. Like once they were, these were pushed up, he actually had charge points where he could reach my fighters. And I did that just to show him like, listen, like if I do exactly what we do last game, like the same result is going to be there. Cause I'm just going to shoot you off the board. Um, yeah. So there was a little more interaction that game. I think it was a good learning moment and I wish that I had a better way of describing board state and how to place objectives. But for those new players that are out there, you're the second level of this game over the deck and the rules interactions is the placing of boards and objectives and remember what your goal is for the deck that you built. If you right. want to interact with the other person or you need to make charges or moves onto objective tokens, placing that first objective, your whatever one, whether it's the first one on the board or the second one on the board you want to zone out where your opponent can place an objective so you can achieve your plan. If you're yeah. just placing to where you want the objective to be for you, you may be playing right into my plan. Yeah. Um, and that'll come into play later on when I get to round three and round four. Um, but this game, it was fun for, for me. It was great to play a new player. Um, I sure it wasn't as ton of fun for him because it really was just a lot of casting. So yeah, trace round two to you. Well, since you played so well in round one, I got George. 
So we had a rat off. We had a rat off, and it was nuts. That game was nuts because we're both playing Void Curse Thralls and Skaven, and there's just movement everywhere. Our builds are very different. Um, I was playing more of the corruption style build, and he was playing more void cursed heavy, trying to void curse everybody. Um, which comes into play in game two because everybody ends up getting void cursed, and the big four glory score comes out at the end. And Oof. yeah, that was fun. Um, but they were good games. We enjoyed it. You know, lots of banter back and forth. Um, just, you know, his dice were a little hotter than mine. Um, he had some really good sneaky plays with the two move as reaction cards, um, attached to some fighters. So it allowed him to position very well. Um, it's not, those interactions with those cards are very, they don't feel the best. Because you're a lot of the fighters in our warbands are range two, so you're not adjacent to a fighter, so you, yeah. you can like skirt away from things in the middle of a charge and stuff like that. It's not it's not great. Um, so round one, he won. I can't remember the scores because I can't get into BCP to look at it, but there's something like eleven to like eight or something like that. And then round two, he just blows me out of the water. It's like six to. 20 or something like that. Um, but it was, they were good games. Uh, so that was my first drop. Um, the rat off was, the rat off was fun. Um, but he is, a, he had, you could tell he had played a lot more with those cards than I had, um, which definitely showed. And then he had a very, like, like you said, Jason, he had, he definitely had a plan for how he wanted to play that war band. Um, so just the more reps and a, probably a better plan than my plan um, definitely came into play. So Yeah, the, yeah. the Void Curse card, I thought, because he had shown me that after the end of round one, you mm-hmm. know, we were just sitting there, we had time. And that was a deliberate choice because mm-hmm. he knew he couldn't, because he thought like, everyone th- thinks you're going to take the corrupt three territories, right? Like it's yeah, pretty solid score. Um, but he shared that like I'm taking this because I can score these other ones. That, but if I don't score those because I'm playing against other another void curse, I'm probably going to score this, and it's probably what's going to push me out over the edge. So it was it was a great thought, very deliberately designed. I am sad that you guys had to go in the mirror match because I've been there, man. The mirror match at a large tournament sucks. So, yeah, yeah. it was fun. I mean, we had fun. Like, I enjoyed playing with him. Um, He had definitely calmed down a little after the first round and gotten a win under his belt. Um, But, you know, it was just, it was a lot of fun. Like, we just had good dialogue back and forth just trying to make sure that all of our interactions were right because everything was corrupted. Like, well, who's to, who's corrupted territory is it? Um, is it my corrupted territory or corrupted territory? So on and so forth. So, yeah. but yeah, it was a, you know, it was a quick one. Like, we got it over pretty quick. Um, and I guess we'll just move it on to Jared and see what yeah. his second game was. So, uh, game two, I play against Charles Waite, who is playing dreepers wraith creepers and let me tell you 
in the death on death matchup, Thump. this might be my least favorite for Velmorn. Um, especially with fearsome fortress, because all of my stuff procs off of you being adjacent to me after your activation or after mm-hmm. a move action. And they're all range too. So well, not all that's thanks. Uh, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> the ones the that matter, the, the ones that matter are range too. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, he did it. He played great. He did a great job positioning, getting his fighters inspired. He actually thought that he could only inspire one fighter per activation because it, he, th- he read it when it says, you know, before your activation, he, he thought that your meant the fighter and not the players. Mm-hmm. And so like there was a case where like he inspired three fighters prior to an activation because they were all within two hexes of one of my fighters. Um, but anyway, so game game one, um, he ends up taking it 8-15. Like, I just can't get things to fire. Obviously, it goes better than game one against Snarl Spirit for me. Like, I've killed some fighters. I have scored some objectives, but he just ends up shutting me down. Uh, and then game two, we go into it. So game one, he won the roll off. He got to, you know, do the setup. Um, game two, like, I get to make that choice. Uh, you know, I try to, you know, narrow the gap again, try to force feed him into me. Um, so that he can't just do anything. He's uh, running toxic terrorists, by the way. Um, and we get into the end phase and um, for, for ground two, and my objective deck failed me in that if I had, if like three cards had been in a different order, then we would have tied and I would have been on an objective token. So I would have won game two. But instead, I lose game two, 12 to 13. Mm. So yet again, another one point Ooh. loss for the sons of Elmorn. So here I am. Owen two, trying to get the highest ranked Velmorn at, at Nova. And I think at this point I am tied. Um, because, uh, Mr. Eugene, uh, is, uh, is, uh, is also Owen two. More importantly, so, have you won anything at all in the weekend? Uh, no, no, nothing. Nothing. So this is now <laughs> n- nine losses in a row for me. If we count individual games within a match as losses. So I'm feeling real good about myself right now, Jason. Real good. So you're taking all that confidence into round three. How does round three go for you? So round three, I get paired with uh, Tom. I believe shuts is his name. He was playing my purifiers and he was relatively new to the game um like had only really been playing for a couple of months uh my Ares purifiers with fearsome fortress um and then like eugene did for you um i think the game was won and lost at objective and board placement um he's playing fearsome fortress but he's not putting his tokens within one hex of no one's territory other than his like free fortress token and so you know, things just don't hit the way that they need to hit for my Ari. There, there were a couple of die rolls that didn't go his way. Um, but <clears throat> so in round three, um, I take game one, 18, five, and then game two, 15, eight. Um, so things are starting to fire. You things won a game. You won a game. I did. I won two games. <laughs> I won two games. Um, and then I look at the pairings and much to my chagrin, Mr. Uh, Nara Vlansky, the other Sons of Elmore player, got the bye this round. <laughs> so we're both sitting at one and two. 
and I don't know what I'm going to do. So was there any like interactions in that game that I like, I understand he's a newer player, maybe not fully vetted on deployment type stuff, but was there anything fun that happened? Did you like inspire somebody, crit somebody? Did the bastard son do anything? Um, yeah. So there was a, I got a, a, a pretty solid scything attack with, uh, with the Thane, with the, the, the fourth and last, um, Mr. Glaive himself, uh, a, a, a pretty clever double stagger, um, plus the reroll upgrade. So I had every opportunity, um, and it took me, uh, three plus two rerolls. That's five dice and then two plus two rerolls. So that's now nine dice plus the ploy to make the attack because those four dice all failed and then two with two more rerolls. So 13 dice to take out two elves in that round. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so stagger tech in that case happened to work out for me. Um, yeah. And more importantly, you're in the W column and yep. still tied for best of best of sons of Elmore. still tied for best Delmore. Yep. All right, Trace so, round three. What do you got? You're coming. You're one and one going into three. Yep. Uh, ended up playing my first FLM of the day. Um, and I don't remember the gentleman's last name, but his first name was Tom as well. Uh, found out that he was going to go to a barbecue after this game, and I wish I had gone with him. Yeah, have um, you seen the pictures of that on the Discord? Yeah. Tom, uh, so. thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he was a wonderful opponent. Um, we ended up splitting that match. Um, round one went to me pretty handily. I was able to get into the changers really early and get rid of some of the, of the, of the inspired ones, which helped to slow down kind of their, their momentum. Um, he is ironically playing your deck, Jason. <laughs> um, so I was very literally f- his deck from our library. Yes. Well, which means um, there's, with there's like one or two, tw- one or two tweaks maybe. Yeah. Um, so I was very familiar with what was happening. Um, having beaten my head against it for several <laughs> weeks prior. So I was like, Oh no, no, we're not gonna, we're not going to get in here. And it was funny. It was funny. That game in particular was very interesting to me to see how a different pilot plays that deck and who they inspire first and where they position those fighters. It was vastly different than how you do it. Interesting. Um, he inspired like, Stairfish first and then put some other people like a little bit further back. It was just interesting um, just to see how a different person's brain handles the same deck in the same warband. So the rats kind of fired a little bit in that game. Um, I was able to get the changers off, uh, corrupt three territories, had some big scores. Um, it was a, it was a pretty big glory differential at the end of the first round. And then we get to round two he gets to choose board placement um, and the game is much closer, but it ends up going to him. But we both decide that we're probably not going to have time to go to a round three and have it be a meaningful game. Um, and so we decided to just kind of take it what for what it was and, and do a draw. Um, 
and that was the first experience with that. But um, but it was it was a good game. Like we had a we had a really good time. Like we didn't feel like we were playing slow. It was just there was a lot of decision points to be made, and there's a lot of movement and you know changers coming back and all that fun stuff. So yeah. there's lots of lots of things to manipulate the board state with those two war bands, and so it just takes a little bit more time. Yeah, pandemonium heffalum is like there's a lot of decision points, like just the change sequence itself it is interesting to see that he spawned or inspired um different fighters but listen tom round one always the maw always inspired always um that is he's got so many teeth so many teeth he can do especially with seismic shock he can do some really good lifting on casting spells that five move is really what you want um so anyway but I'm glad to hear that it, it went well for both of you. Glad to see that you got to uh, see somebody play the deck a little bit differently. Um, overall, how do you feel about dice? Like you're halfway through the tournament. Like, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is you took it, you took Voiker, so you didn't have as much reliance on dice, which is a little different in your Underworld's play. Like, the, is it working out? It was fine. Like, I had some misses. I had some, I had some hits. Like... Um, I've always traditionally tried to play a more aggro warband in this game. It's just kind of where my brain is. But I also logically know that if I'm playing in a big tournament like this, just weighing all of my hopes and dreams on freaking D6s is not a recipe for success <laughs> for me. It it is a recipe for success for many people. It is not for me. So I had some misses. I had some good, I had some crits. I had some good crit diffs. Like, you know, it is what it is. Like, um, but I think not focusing on being as dice dependent and letting my tactical brain come through was a good decision for me. Wasn't this the game where like the worthless was right in midfield and you double crit? No, 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 no. Nope. No, this wasn't. That's it. way later. Oh, is that later? Okay. That's all right. One. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's round five. So round three. Um, for me, I play oh, Jason. Um, Steven, Stefan, Steven, Stefan. Steven, probably. Probably Steven, but I got a lot of Stephens in my world. So, uh, but Steven, so he, and he is playing, if I remember correctly, um, crushes, crushes, crushes pre beta crushes. So let me just, let me just go through how this is, right? So we sit down. I'm like, oh, crushes. I played crushes last year. At this point, like I've heard that the beta rule for Narrow Spirit Pack isn't being played. But in my mind, I see crushes and I'm like, okay, like he has to spend the two wall counters to inspire because I played them last year. Um, I I can't remember who won the roll off. I, I think I rolled won the roll off. Either way, I got to pick deployment as far as where we're going um, and playing crushes once or twice. Hallway. We went hallway. Yep. Um, yep. So Hallway and his board choice was not the greatest where it really only gave him one fighter to get remotely close to my guys. Um, 
And I knew they had a couple of pushes, and I also knew that he probably wanted to stand on a couple of objectives. So I conveniently placed those objectives where I could get to them if I needed to. Um, and I also drew a hand, at, like I had Lashing, Lashing Tendril. I had a lot of cards. Uh, I had Will of the Architect turn one where I could kind of bounce back and forth. But placing Hallway meant that there was really only one fighter that was even in jeopardy if he got a push. And that would have been Kindlefinger, who was on guard and reducing damage by one, um, which may not be a good thing going up against damage three fighters. Uh, but he comes across, and long story short, like I get to, I get basically get to plink him as he's coming across turn one. Um, but then again, I still don't realize that we're not playing non beta rules. So at the end of turn one, I think I score like three or four glory. I've got a couple damage on some fighters. Um, but I, I'm like, I'm going to play lashing tendril and suck. I hate that card. Crusha into a, a damage hex, a lethal hex. And then I'm like all set up like for turn two. And he goes, well, just so you know, we're not playing the beta rule. And I was like, Oh, that's what I want. Crusher standing next to two fighters and non-beta rule. Never mind. And he was very gracious and allowed me to not play that card and put Crusher back three hexes away. So now he's got to move. And then I think you know how the rest of the game goes. Like he's just move, move, move. He never really gets close to me. Um, there is at one point I kill Art Skull by like plink damage and dragging him into a lethal. Like he tries to, he tries to like skirt around the lethal and get to the outside to get some attacks in. Um, you know, I attack him. I do three damage on a crit. I pull him into a lethal and then I plink damage him, you know, and next thing you know, he's got one fighter remaining. Um, the second game, you know, he obviously gets board layout, but it's more of the same. Um, and then this is where my magic um, flick tech comes in. So yeah. I managed, managed so to get, uh, um, oh my goodness, I can't even remember the name of the card, but it gives me an action to, to, flick. to flick. So on a focus, um, I get to either push or stagger a fighter. And the best part is, is it's six, hex, six hexes away. So I do that once or twice. And next thing you know, I've bought myself so much time that my, um, you know, I've just scored and, you know, that's the way that that game goes is I just play area denial. It's, yeah. it's uh Quintox unseen. unseen hand. Yep. Which is my favorite card in my deck. Um, yeah. So it didn't, it didn't go well for him um, at all because he really just did, could not get to me. Um, but if he could have, he could have, he could have done some serious damage. Yeah. I think he, I think maybe he only attacked like three or four times in game two and his dice, his dice just were not, were not doing well either. So, yeah. Um, so that was my round three that moves us into round four. So now I'm two and one Jared, you're one and two, one and two and Trace is on his way to, achieving perfection perfection at one one and one um we go into round four and i sit down at the table and i 
just cannot wait to get this game on because I'm playing Don. Who Don Don played the first round of last year. Um, I was playing Crushes. He was playing um, a Slanesh Dread Pageant. I had all the single death crits, kind of ruined his day game one. Now we're in game four. I'm on the up and up. He was, I think at this point, I think he was two and one as well. Um, And he's playing Thundrix with Fearsome Fortress. And I'm actually worried. Like when we sit down, I'm like, oh, Thundrix, like they can put out some damage. They can control objectives. If he's playing the way that I think he's playing, he wants to hold objectives, which means I have to put Heffalum at, um, at risk. And again, I just want to point out how Heffalum is a gatekeeper warband because I think if Don was a little more, he had never played against Heffalum other uh, than yeah. one time against Matt where they're just playing their normal pickup games. So he wasn't really like, he, he did not know the intricacies of what I was trying to do. So game one, um, game one, he will, I won the roll off. I choose deployment. So he puts down first, we offset, do the same thing. Like I kind of bury in the back of the board, but again, knowing that he's playing fearsome fortress, I deploy Heffalum where I don't have to move him. And he's within four of the center and he's just supported by all the other changers. Um, he deploys way back. Like he is not even close to mid board. He's got to move up. And in this game, I will tell you that, I miscast. I took a damage and balloon boy came across twice, not Oof. once, but twice and could have taken out, taken him out. Cause I was so close to, to mid board to make sure that I could control mid board. And he missed both times. Mm-hmm. And that was the game. Had he, had he killed him, it would have been a completely different game. Um, but I that's feel you, Don, <laughs> I, I understand your pain. Yeah. Intimately. Uh, and yeah, he, he had it. I want to say it was turn one, turn one, like activation three or four that he came across and just tried to blop him and missed. Um, and then he went back, he fell back. He used like where they can move again. He falls back onto objective in the center. And because I listen, I play, play against a lot of fearsome fortress I know you don't want to control the center and I like localize quake or whatever the heck that card is. And I fling them into a damage hex. And this came up a lot in the tournament. A lot of the players there, whether they're returning or new did not realize that if you have the fly keyword, you are not immune to damage hexes, lethal hexes, unless it is your move action. Yeah. So like that came up, he took a damage, he's still alive. He flies back in turn two or turn three, misses again. So at this point, Don's like, holy cow. Like, like that was not good. I didn't know what I was expecting. And this is again, the gatekeeper. So, um, I chose to take deployment. Don gets the choice for game game two. You want to know what he, he takes objectives again. And I was just like, I even said, I was like, you want to take objectives? He's like, yeah, I think I want objectives. No, you want engagement. because yeah. And now, because he even says, like, in the kind of recap, he's like, I need to play more aggressive. So we offset again, center back to 
Let's rewrite this whole thing again. Heflum is off to the right this time, and he misdeploys Bloom Boy. He's kind of in the back that he can't even make a charge on Heflum this game. Um, and he puts at the two-wound Aslan, whatever the two-wound nothing fighter is, within yeah, yeah. four of Heflum. Ooh, rough. And then he's like, oh, you go first. Okay. So, boom, dead. Like, yep. yeah. Um, but then this is where the game, this is why I love playing Don. Don, you are my crit lucky charm. So, in this game, Spawn Maw charges across and has to bite somebody in center board. Three dice, three crits. Oh, oh my God. Rough. He, rough. Comes ac- he comes across and tries to tack him. Two dice, two crits. Oh, Jason. Then I proceed four times on casting rolls. Four times crit hits. Oh, my gosh. You don't lose the game when you roll like that. No. No, you do not. No, you do not. Sorry, Don. So it was a great game. My dice were just really, really hot. He gave it the best he could. He did score quite a bit more in the second game. But literally, like if I'm rolling that many crits, like no, that's that's a way hard uphill battle to try yeah, and get over yeah. that. Yeah. Oof. So I'm three one after four. What are you guys doing round four, Jared? What do you? How does your round four go? So I get paired with Brian Hill, who is one of our local players. Uh, he's playing Gore Chosen of Drom, um, Fearsome Fortress, with Fearsome Fortress. Um, which works out well for me because he's everybody's in the middle. Future... It's a party. Yeah. One, he's trying to get future tokens within one hex of no one's territory. Um, game one. Uh, I feel like I Jason to donned him on the dice side. Um, it just felt like I couldn't miss and he couldn't hit. Um, and so game one goes down in the books is 19, nine. He did a slight offset, which I thought was interesting. Um, I think he was trying, hoping to funnel me, um, but I'm just not going to play that game. Uh, and then game two, we do a slight offset again, but it's my choice this time um, again, because I want to funnel and control things, but his dice are a little bit more in his favor. He makes some, I think some tactical choices that uh, maybe, I think he was trying to get play towards end game um, and the, the short term gains in the end were just not in his favor. Um, I take down the Gore Hulk pretty early in game two, um, but only end up winning 14, nine in game two. So he held me a little closer in game two. Um, but game one, I, if I had one crit death, I had six on single die. Oh, you would defense dice. You would. It was the trend. The trend continues. It was so bad. So anyway, so now I'm two and two, two and two, uh, two and two. And at this point, uh, Eugene, where are you, Eugene? Eugene is at a draw. Oh, so I'm currently sitting as top Velmorn player. There you go. Trace. How did game four round four go for you? Bobby Hurley. No, Bobby. We had a ball. Uh, they were That was my favorite game of the day by far because I play Jared all the time, and I know the outcome that is probably going to happen when I play Jared. So, um, 
So Bobby is so, playing what? So Bobby is playing uh, Headcracker with um, Fearsome Fortress. Fearsome Fortress. Yep. Um, I win boards round one. I offset pretty hard because I know that I try and, like Jared's been saying, like I try and create choke points because I don't care. I just got to squirt by you and get into your territory and get on, get a couple people over there to corrupt your territory. I don't really care. So it is a scrum in the middle pretty early, but I managed to get Scabic with the plus one damage upgrade on him. Oof. And I run in and I get Headcracker out. Like hella early. Um, That crit grievous though. And that that stops his Inspire then. Yeah. It does. Yeah. So managed to get both games. I got him out pretty early. Um, Having played enough against Jared to know (laughs) that that's kind of the stick. If you can get him out, it makes it a lot harder. Um, so dice just kind of go my way round one, um, positioning was, I, I positioned very well. I managed to keep Scritter back just to kind of fall onto an objective in my territory to help keep it corrupted or to squirt by and get an objective in Bobby's territory. Um, but I get my void curse fighter into his territory, the, um, Scribus Wretch or whatever, the three damage fighter. I get him across. He starts doing doing some work. He's running around being a crazy fool uh, with his additional movement cards and Void Curse upgrades that allow him to make additional move actions. So I score, you know, uh, Lashed into Motion and also the card that's for the rats that you move three times in a row. I get both of those early. So I'm getting getting seed glory to help get upgrades out and all this other stuff, which helps to kind of snowball. So game one ends pretty heavily in my favor. We reset, um, and I don't think Bobby offset me this game, but I can't I can't remember exactly. But um, it starts out not as similar, but. Um, I do manage to get Headcracker out pretty early. Like, I think it's beginning of round two. He's out of the game. Um, but Bobby manage, manages to come back, and he actually does a lot of work um, to get to get um, enough glory to to beat me pretty pretty handily. Um, but we thought again, we thought we were playing pretty quickly, but because there were so many decision points on the board it ended up being like probably 15 or 20 minutes left before the end of the round. And so, you know, we both kind of took the gentleman's way out and we were like, Hey, this is probably not going to be a meaningful game. Um, if we try and push to a third game. So we kind of took the one and one. Um, I think we both voted as each, each other as favorite opponents. Cause we just had a lot of fun. Um, and then we just took it to round five. So awesome. Round five. Yeah. yeah. You've traveled four and a half hours away. Yeah. 
Jared has already played one person from our meta. What happens in round five? I get to play another person from our meta. Go ahead, Jared. Yeah, so this recap is going to be pretty quick because uh, Trace and I freaking dance. Play against each other. Yeah, so here we are. We're round five. Um, Game one, I think you chose engagement. I did. Um, I think you went wide. No, we choked. Uh, No, you narrowed. Yeah, you choked me out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I think, yeah, I think there were some crit defs in there. Uh Um, I don't think anything really momentous happened in game one, other than you kind of held me close. And so we finished. It was a close game. It was a close game. Yeah, 13-10. Yeah. Um, It was pretty close. I mean, in in all things considered, game two was also close. Um, I think. I took engagement that time and I offset you, but not as much. Um, yeah, I think no, was, I think I, w- no, we went wide second game. I went wide. Yeah. Cause I wanted avenues to yeah. not, it was full. Be, it was full board. Yeah. Second game. Yeah. 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 Cause I didn't want to bit get choke. I didn't want the choke point coming into you. Um, and I, so two things of remark in that game. Um, the one was where you sent Skritter in um, and attacked a fighter <laughs> Um, and drove him back, but you were still adjacent to another fighter on a feature token. So I played the the gambit, and I just bopped Skritter, um, so removed him as a befowler without having to roll an attack dice and wasn't wasting an activation, which felt pretty big brain on my part to be able to pull off. And then, um, no, I'm just an idiot. Um, R- <laughs> R- Ravidius Skinch or whatever his name is, his uh, whiffed scything roll. Yeah, it was big. Was. I think those were the two big. That was the one where you roll an attack dice for your defense die. It was. Roll a hammer. And I was and like, I said, count it, really, as a just shield. count it as a shield. And I was like, Jared, this is, no, we're not playing this way. Like, roll your defense <laughs> okay. die. Okay. Freaking crit defs me. Yeah. Because I'm trying to play straight, honorable. That was, but I, I was too. That's like, not it's, the same. It's, the it's same not the same. It's, it's the not, same probability. I understand. It's the wrong Hammers dice. It's the, the wrong dice. So, yeah. Anyway. Nothing feels bad worse than when you roll the wrong dice and it's like. Well, a even when you're tr- like when you're trying to like. <sighs> yeah. When you re-roll into a crit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. then, but you, you got some vindication on a roll. One. Yes. So I go in with uh I go in with somebody and I crit hit hit. No and you it's a, yeah, you crit hit you crit I double crit, hit. Hit hit. Yeah. Crit hit hit. Yeah, crit and two hits. And I mean the game is the game's more over. or less foregone at this point. Trace just I was like I nonchalantly w- drops his I was like, whatever, I could two defense dice. I could still maybe do dice it. Tray. And then it's a double crit. And Bobby and witnesses it. Crit. And I lose my mind. Yeah. Like the whole hall like turned and looked at like what yeah. was going on because I was so excited that it happened. <laughs> but in typical Trace versus Jared fashion, it ends yeah. up with a Jared win yeah. in Underworlds. Most other games, I can actually beat Jared. Yeah, but in good. Underworlds, it's just like a freaking aura. It's an aura of suck. <laughs> it's an aura of single, single defense die crits is what it is. But anyway, so at this point, Eugene has taken a loss. I have climbed back, managed to claw my way back 60% of the time. It works every time. And I'm now sitting on a three and two and just waiting for the final tally to come in. Jason round five, round five. I go up against no nerf Godsworn hunt. 
No. Gnarl Spirit Pack. <laughs> Gnarl Spirit Pack. Gnarl Spirit yeah. Pack. So, um, you know, I had been hearing about the Warband all day. Uh, let me be honest. This is my round one opponent. Yeah, this is your round one by opponent. The way. So, Craig, um, he sits down and, you know, at this time, everyone had been talking about it. I'm going to tell you, I forgot how they play because it's been so oh, long since we. They're real here. good. Um, so he wins roll off places wide. Yep. And I get to a point where, you know, I draw my objectives and I got a couple things I can score. But again, I have the, oh my goodness. And it's getting late. So I'm going to forget the claim the prize. Um, yep. And I know, like, if I don't score, like, I don't ditch because if I don't score this round one, he's going to be so much in my Kool-Aid that I just can't do it. Right. But then he also, like, I don't roll a crit. I have five fighters, so I have to go first. So I do my positioning thing. I get the fighters onto objectives with the least amount of, you know, risk. We get them out there so I can just play the game. Um, his first activation, he comes across with Kira. Not to scythe, and that's what I was worried about because when I play Pandemonium, I'm kind of lumped up in the center. The way the boards that yeah. I pick, like I like to pick the one with two snare hexes so I can get a cheeky glory, so I can run through a snare hex, but it forces all my fighters together too um, because that way I also get my bonus die to cast. Um, but Swan Maw is all the way off to the left, and that's probably where I made the mistake I should have put Flame spooler off to the left and Maw off to the right, just be the way that things work. But Kira activates, come across, hits Spawn Maw for one or for two. And I'm like, oh, like, thank goodness she didn't crit, right? So I'm like, okay, I didn't have that bad feel, but right. still hitting for two. Um, so he's only got one health left. And I'm like, ooh, this is going to be bad. But he drives her back, which is fine, drives Spawn Maw back. I, uh, I attack back. She is in a cover hex. I do a damage. Okay. Um, you know, other stuff goes down. Everything's pretty, pretty normal. Um, I debate whether to drive her out of the cover hex and over, over a hex. And I don't, because I have a card that if I take a fighter out of action, when they're in a feature token, I get a glory. And my fourth activation, <clears throat> I play the one where I can cast six away, and I don't. I should have just moved her, but I didn't. But I have to charge Heffalum over onto the objective, so I have two objectives. And at this point, I'm feeling really good. Like, yes, I've taken some damage. I've done some damage to him. The board state is what the board state is. But I'm like, I am in my territory. He's charged three times. I have two objectives. I'm going to score three glory. I'm going to jump out to a lead. Um, I also have nine fates in my hand. Um, I'm, fe- I'm thinking I'm feeling really, really good. Um, I miss on Kira cause I didn't push her out of the, or no, I do. I take Kira out either way. So she's gone. Turn one. I'm feeling yay. She's gone. Um, and then he activates the leader and I forget his name. <laughs> Sarkar, which moves it's Tim the Enchanter. Yeah, the Enchanter. Tim the Enchanter. He moves a thousand spaces in range three, and he comes in and knocks <laughs> he me moves off six the, when he's beast form. He knocks me off the objective, and like as he's doing it, I'm like, oh my god, I did not remember he can move that far. 
and he completely trashes my turn one scoring because he just comes across and he hits me. I had, I had like um, used my card where I can switch two fighters. So Hefelm doesn't take the damage, but the, whatever the other changers on the objective, he pushes them off and I don't get my, my glory. And now I'm like, Oh my God, like he is, he's all up in my Kool-Aid. I don't score any of my big scores. I actually have to ditch my big scores because at this point, I'm not going to get those objectives. In hindsight, I did at the end of the game, but I didn't think I was going to have anything alive to, right. to, to do that. Um, you know, I ended up by taking out uh, Lupin, and the game goes back and forth. It goes back and forth. We actually tie 12-12 in game one, but I have two fighters on objectives, nice. and he has none. So I take it on the tiebreaker, 12-12. Game two, now I get to pick deployment. I longboard him, and I go up big. Like, I'm just, I'm showing him this is how it's done. I'm, like, Lupin comes in. My deck loves to target somebody over and over again. I don't care if I hit you or not. Right. Scoring glory, killing Lupin, get my big scores. I think at one point I was up 15-3. to Um, and then in turn three, I go first, I hit Goral for two. I then push him into a lethal and, or I do two plank damage to him. So now I'm like, holy cow, I have three fighters. He's got one fighter. I'm up. I just stopped one of his oaths from going off. I'm good. I then proceeded to just run away. Because he was killing my fighter, my other two fighters, the Flame Spooter and Kindle Finger, just boom, boom, dead. I only ended up by winning the game 17 to 15. Gosh, that's so, crazy. Yeah, he battled all the way back. Um, it was really close. Thank goodness I ran away. Thank goodness I did pass one or two defensive saves during the, the game. Um, but I just forgot how fast they are. Like, pre beta. So Pre nerf, like they're just like yeah. they're just range there. nine, threat range nine. Yeah, it's, on Sarkar. Yes. And Kira is even plus one too. So like, yeah. So she's moved five and with scything and yeah. It was yeah. just crazy how fast they were. I both games I took Kara out early, which really really helped me. Um, and didn't yes. have to s- spend a lot of cards to do that. So you know, I take I take it in two. Um, definitely made me sweat total glory in that game was 29, 27. Um, but I went four and one and only dropped the two rounds of round one. So, uh, I would say that that was a pretty good tournament for me. And again, just to emphasize the gatekeeper aspect, uh, pandemonium can, can be, can be beaten, but you have to know the other phases of the game from deployment and objective deployment to having a plan to beat them. And that's what I learned from this tournament was if you're not, if you're still learning your own warband and you're still learning your own deck, or you're still learning a piece of the game, they can feel bad. And um, yeah, there was that one point where I was like, I kind of wish that I would have taken something a little bit less. Like it's great to take it. If I had a shot to win it all, dropping game one i was like oh i wish i had something else so the games were a little bit more meaningful for me 
yeah. not saying that my opponents played bad or anything. It just, I think that the fact that I had a plan, I only brought three boards. I knew exactly where my objectives wanted to be. And every opponent that I played into, I knew what you were trying to do. Right. Other than the move nine was really my only surprise of the day. Um, just made for, I just don't think it was as fun for others as it could have been if I had brought something else. So in, in my experience, um, with playing against them is if you miss two key attacks, your host, yeah, there's not a lot you can do to come back from that. Um, like the game with Don is a good example. Yeah. He comes across his drag skewer, misses twice ball game. Yeah. Like not only, and the reason why it is a gatekeeper list is because you need, you need things to go not perfectly, but as close to perfect as you can. If you're, if you're running into a very well-tuned experienced F1 player, um, like I understand the recipe, the recipe to take them out. I understand it. It's just getting it to fire and you need, you need accurate aggro to get in there or multiple attacks. Like when we were playing Ripa, like I just kept whiffing attacks, but like Mm -hmm. you said it, you were like, I was in trouble. Like your positioning and stuff like that. When we played through, you're like, your positioning was perfect you need those attacks to go through. And if they don't go through, you end up having you're, you, you get behind the eight ball really quick. Yeah. Um, Yeah, And you know, the, the pandemonium test is now run its course, right? Like I, I think that the new, uh, errata FAQ to make the, him only get the bonus dice as if he's within two hexes of changers, is a really good subtle nerf because I will tell you, like, I didn't have to worry about positioning around the objectives and where he was because I always had someone around in three. There were right. there are some times during my game, especially against Neural Spirit Pack and especially against George, like I would only have been rolling one dice yeah. or one die. Like it would have significantly changed what I could do, and even against Don there were times where I had to be out of position to do what I wanted to do with him there that like, I would probably have not made that decision because I would have been rolling one die. So I'm not saying that it's going to like just completely reel them in. Cause I have seven things that you could do to reel them in completely. But I think after having a good 30 or 40 games into them, I've got it narrowed down to two other things that I would love to see changes to them. Um, the easiest one be range four, right? Like range four is I leveraged that a lot during the tournament. I've leveraged it a lot in my games, but I think taking him back to range three may be a step too far unless that's all you changed. Like literally if you okay. changed nothing else and made him range three, okay, fine. But we've already got one change where the dice go away which I think is the more elegant change. The other one is 
Um, again, there's seven. If you want us, hit us in Discord. I'll give you all seven. But the, the two that I think... You need a list of really nine to really be thematic. Oh, I kind of do have nine, more. but seven that I think will actually matter. Um, is in the um, changer phase, like the change phase, is the push the opponent tells you where to push that fighter. Ooh, and the reason I like spicy. Yeah, the reason I like this one is because a lot of people believe that fearsome fortress is the best way to play them, and it's because you can kind of position onto an objective right away and score a bunch of stuff by just making another activation. That does not happen. It also really like where I deploy them, who I decided to put the other stuff on. This fighter could be in a very dangerous position if i allow my fighter to be pushed turn one it may not matter in turn two and turn three but yeah i think that that would be another really elegant thing is that your opponent is to push that changer the last piece the last piece i would love to change kindle finger but there's a lot of things to get around kindle finger after especially playing in a tournament that i just don't think we should like the final one would be the res card. I think that they have so many tools that when you finally do get that hit through trace, I've just seen it on so many opponents. It's like, oh, I finally did something. You've done it to me. And it's like, times. oh, wait, I'm rolling three dice with a reroll. That fighter's coming back, and it's probably Spawn Maw, who's inspired onto dodge with three wounds. Right. So yeah. I feel it should be they come back invulnerable or come back vulnerable. Or at the very least, they come back like with like two wounds remaining. So if you res one of the three, you get a wound token. Yeah. The three wound fighters, the two wound fighters, they just stay. Um, but Cryos or George had an idea is like, why don't you make it more difficult to cast? Right? Mm. So why don't you make it on um you could also have them come channels. back uninspired. Yeah, two two or they come back uninspired would be a great idea too, right? Like yeah. I think vulnerable is probably the easiest to do. Uh, but those are the two other things that I would do just to tweak those in. So that's our tournament. I go four and one. I place second. Woohoo. Trace Woo-hoo. almost achieves this perfect record of one, 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 and perfect glory differential. You got one, two, and two. So close, close right there. It was close. Yeah. It was close. Jared, you do take top Felmore. I do, and I managed to claw my way into the top eight nice. with my three and O. So you're welcome, Velmorn, <laughs> squeaking into top eight at Nova, the largest uh, clash in the U.S. in 2023. Yeah. Um, oh, and so one thing of note is that local player Jake, this whole time, has been four O round five. He's playing at the top table. Um, against uh, Mark Brialt, Baconborn, and his Canaan's Reapers, um, and ends up losing that final game. But Jake has, yeah, but in round three, right? Well, he took like, three yeah, games. So he took a, yeah, it took three games. So he took a game off of Mark. Um, so just kudos to Jake. He played well. He had a good deck. Um, he's a good player. Um, so he ends up coming in fifth. Yeah, it was great to see. Jake come up there at his first major tournament. Um, it was great. Like he is a younger gentleman. Um, so we believe he's 18 or 19 years old. Um, 
you know, so yep. his, his family was up there doing other things in the city. They were there, um, you know, with him. So that was great to see that a younger generation getting into the game. And Jake has yeah. played really well here in a local scene. So great job, Jake, for getting out there and and playing probably one of the best players of Underworlds that's currently out there in the world and taking a game from him. Um, yep. And he definitely played a lot of hard games throughout the day as well. He did not have the submarine path that I had. Um, he also played um, Pandemonium. So good on you, sir. Way to get out there. Way to make it happen. Um. You know, and then the other thing, so like that, the, you know, our tournament, great tournament, fantastic. I enjoyed it. I think you guys enjoyed it. Um, but there was another achievement unlocked in the fact that this great Heffalum pandemonium that was painted by my dear friend Trace took best painted. Yeah, it did. So congratulations to you. Oh, look, he's got the little yeah. handle. He's got his prize paint handle right there. So, uh, Definitely my favorite war band like that's out there. You knocked it out. Super happy that, you know, finally got the, the best painted at the Nova tournament. So congratulations, sir. That really is the highlight of the whole tournament. Yeah. So somebody in the podcast has gotten best opponent. Somebody in the podcast has gotten best painted. So somebody just needs to win the event. Well, that's somebody. My bad, be you guys. You, so. My bad, you guys. <laughs> um, yeah. So some great things there in the clash. Uh, my last question of this whole underworld segment is I understand that Velmorn has now won a Warhammer world nemesis, or I'm sorry, a rivals event, but there has been a lot of talk in the community, Jared, that Velmorn is underpowered. Would you change anything with your top eight finish? Yeah. I, so I think that the change that gets talked about most in the community is letting Velmorn keep his command counter at the end of the action phase. And I think that would probably be a really subtle touch that would add some benefit. It provides more opportunities to inspire Velmorn. Um, it provides better accuracy to any uninspired fighters that you have going into action phase two and action phase three. Um, it also means that you could still activate him first and now have multiple command counters and make better use of the gambits. Um, I think it could help. I don't know that it's what they need. Um, I think about what they want to do, what it feels like to me they want to do and what other death war bands are able to do. Um, and I, there's not a good way to do it. I don't think without completely like going back to the drawing board or inventing a new card for them, but I kind of want them to have access to a free move at some point in the game, um, within their own design space. I know that I could go void cursed and there's lots of extra movement there. Um, you know, there's gambits and stuff for pushes, but, um, just extra positioning for them to force fighters into like the supports instead of relying on retaining a command counter to get those supports, I think would go a long way, but that's just one man's opinion. Like, um, do you think that they're fine? Like, or I mean, I think that they're fun. I think that they're solidly in the middle of the pack. Um, you know, like they're, they're not S tier, they're not a tier, but the, I don't, I would not consider them, you know, F tier. 
either. So, yeah. I mean, I have fun with them. Okay. Top eight, I think they're fine. Yeah. I think you're just trying to power game it like you are with your Eldar. <laughs> yeah, you know me. <laughs> so then just to run down kind of the rest of the, the thing. So, Mark, congratulations, Baconborn, for Kanan's Reapers. Um, Void Curse, Kanan's Reapers. Um, he did take two game losses on the day, but won all rounds, 15 points, with a glory differential of 72. So Oof, definitely up there. Um, uh, Skyler. Get on you, sir. Skyler from What the Hex uh, took Elethane Soul Raid. And my tip of my hat to you, sir, because I tried. This was my, I'm going to try to do something fun with Terrible Toxins. I could not wrap my head around it. Obviously, you figured it out. Um, 12 points, only two game losses, a glory differential of 55. Um, Jordan also, um, Elethane Soul Raid going the four and one with, uh, three game losses, uh, glory differential of 44 and Jake from our local metal also playing pandemonium finishing fifth, um, actually negative glory differential on the day. And he had five game losses. So, um, good shout out there. Yeah, he had a hard-fought battle He did to, to get to fifth place. Uh, and rounding out the top ten, just Bobby, another person from the What the Hex meta with Headcrackers that Trace played. Um, he finished in six. You got Michael with Exiled Dead. Um, and then, I don't know, this Jared Johnson guy. And then George with yeah. his Plague Pack at nine. Uh, and then Brian from What the Hex finishing in tenth um, with – with nine points and dropping five game, five games throughout the day. So that was your top 10 at Nova. Again, a 31 player um, grand clash, the biggest one that we've had in the States here so far this year. Thank you to all the attendees. If we forgot your name or didn't mention you, it really means a ton to us to have people come out to Nova. Um, Even though it isn't our event, it is the one that we get to go to. You make it a great, fantastic event thanks for being there uh, and thanks for having fun with us Uh, with that i think that's it we'll wrap it up and come back for the outro and we're back and that will wrap up this the 54th episode of the battle mallet podcast um if you've liked what you've heard um feel free to hit the like subscribe whatever share our podcast with your friends uh, we're on every major podcasting platform. We are Battle Mallet One on X slash Twitter, Battle Mallet Pcast on Instagram, we're the Battle Mallet Podcast on Facebook. Our website is battle mallet.com. Um, I think that's all of the needfuls. Yeah. So just so. Jared's done a great job of collecting decks from this tournament. So check out the Nemesis Library. I think you got what, all top eight now? Uh, I'm still missing Jake's deck. Oh, Jake. I'll harass him. I know. Right. (laughs) Um, yeah. And then I've got a handful of others. Um, George Kairos shared his with me. Um, so, um, so it's up there. I added a, a turn tournament filter on the deck library. So, um, you can click and see through just the tournament decks, um, as well. So we've got all that set up and going. Um, 
I think that's it. I'm excited to play some Underworlds and start messing around again and not feel like I'm having to prep for a major event. Not be sweaty. Um, not be sweaty. Um, yeah. So I think that's it, right? No, uh, no major shout outs. Uh, I'll just say this. Um, if what, if we get published first or they get published first or whatever, if you haven't, I'm sure that path to glory and what the hecks are going to have great episodes recapping their games. Uh, they tend to go into a lot more detail, um, about them. So just go check out their podcasts, um, to get another perspective on the event, um, and the, and the grand clash and, and to hear about their games in detail. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Just get ready. I March, right. March 1st is when tickets go on sale for next year's Nova. Um, yep. I know that this has been a marathon of an episode for everybody as we're like hitting the three hour and three and a half hour mark. But yep. it truly for me being that middle-aged man with wife and a kids is five days of resetting and truly just being able to uh, focus on my hobby and the people of Nova, the vendors of Nova, my friends yes. at Nova have never disappointed it is fantastic. So if you want to come next year, come hang out with me in the lounge. I'm there every night. That's where it'll be. Yeah. So shout out to the Nova volunteers and staff yeah. um, for sure for putting together an amazing event. Um, and we will see you next year. So for the Battle Mallet podcast, this is Jared signing out. I got to go pack. And I'm Jason Tableman Murray. Get the hell out of here! Peace. The Battle Mallet Podcast is protected under the Creative Commons license. If you have further questions as to its use, you can find more information via links on podcast.battle-mallet.com. Music by Anno Domini Beats. Why don't we just go with a simple title like Faithfully? Faithfully. Pew, pew, pew.